If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey everybody, today Rado Talks you episode 52 of the podcast and I suspect this is going to be a long one because of course I took a month off from the regular podcast to do a Gen Con preview last month. So we've got two months worth of games of interest, two months worth of top tens, and two months worth of uh, questions and answers. And I am kind of terrified, folks. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it all the way through all of this, but I will do my best, and a little bit later on, Jen will join me to do her best as well. And uh, so, hang on, everybody, and we'll be right back. Yikes! All right, if my math is correct, it looks like I've got 37 games of interest to talk about. And to be fair, some of these I probably did hit last month in the Gen Con preview, but I am not going to take the time right now to try and pull those out. I'm just going to go through all these, and since some of these I have not looked at since way back in early July, this might be a bit rough and ready, but what the heck. I'm going to tell you about 37 cool new upcoming games, and I'm going to start with Bloomtown. And uh, just going by my notes here on the uh, Games of Interest Geek List, the reason I called this one out, I hope my notes are good going forward. Yikes, I'm scared. Anyway, the reason I called this one out is because it is from uh, the design team behind Copenhagen, which is uh, Asker uh, Ganerud and Daniel Peterson. And Copenhagen was fantastic. Jen and I really enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm very excited about the Copenhagen Roll and Write, which unfortunately I haven't gotten a chance to play yet. But uh, anyway, uh, they're not done yet because next up they're doing uh, Bloomtown, which is uh, looks like another Tetris piece tile laying game. And uh, the interesting thing is the subject matter is not about building a town here, but actually rejuvenating a town, uh, which is a very, very cool idea and certainly something that is very, very topical and timely as more small towns just you know basically fall into disrepair with uh you know the urbanization that the world is going through so uh this might be a nice little aspirational bit of subject matter and uh going by the cover art it looks like it'll be pretty too so bloomtown is definitely interesting but uh, uh oscar and Danielle are not done with because next up on the list, I've got Deep Blue. And I don't know much about this. Apparently, it is a push-your-luck engine-building game. That sounds interesting. But more importantly, it is being published by Days of Wonder. And Days of Wonder, as you know, they only put out like one or maybe two games a year. They really put all their focus and effort onto just making really, really sharp, solid games at Sing. And so, considering the fact I know these guys are great designers already from their past work, and I know Days of Wonder will put together a really wonderful, lovely presentation, Deep Blue is uh, something I'm very, very excited 
excited about. And also, apparently, I'm going to be getting a copy of it this month to try and do a run-through ahead of time before it comes out. So, uh, I don't know much more. Don't need to know much more. Uh, that's enough for me to be excited about Deep Blue. Then there is Deckscape, The Curse of the Sphinx, which I know, I believe this was at Gen Con. And really, there's not much more to say other than I continue to love Deckscape. It's interesting. I think I've gotten to the point where I'm going to stop playing Exit Games and I'm going to stop playing Unlock Games. Deckscape is where it's at for me. I like the lower uh, difficulty level. I like the stronger thematic implementation. Uh, I like the greater sense of uh, players using their imagination uh, instead of you know just the raw muscling together of various components. Deckscape is my favorite escape room in your home and I'm looking forward to the next one. Although I haven't played the previous one, the uh, magic behind the curtain one either. So that's two Deckscapes I'm hoping to have in my future. Then there is Rush MD, which is... Um, Right. Oh, apparently, yeah, it is from Artipia Games. And last year, or was it the year before? No, the year before, they put out Kitchen Rush from uh, oh uh, Dave Turchy and... Oh, one of their regular in-house, Angelus? Oh, I can't remember his name. But anyway, uh, this is Rush MD is basically a sequel to Kitchen Rush in that it is... Oh, yeah. Um, oh, no, it's, it's Constantinos himself working on this one with David Turchy and Anthony Halgago. But anyway... Kitchen Rush was a really, really great cooperative real-time game where you were doing worker placement with hourglasses to try to run a kitchen and keep one step ahead of all the orders that were being put in by your customers. And uh, I'll talk a bit more about Kitchen Rush in a while because I'll come back to that later. But Rush MD is basically that same idea. It is a cooperative worker placement game. I assume it once again uses hourglasses as your workers, but a much more tension-inducing uh, uh, subject matter, now working in an operating room, in an OR, trying to make sure your patients stay alive. Uh, the original game was fantastic, and I expect they'll take the lessons learned from that design and make Rush MD even better. So I'm very excited about that. Then we've got Sunflower Valley, the card game. And uh, Sunflower Valley, I've already done a run-through for it. It was a lovely, charming little roll-and-write game, and uh, now it's turned into a tiling game, although it's cards you're uh, tableau building with instead of tiles. Considering how good the first one is, I expect good things from its sequel, Sun Sunflower Valley, the card game. And oh my gosh, I'm about to cough up. Hold on, everybody. <coughs> oh, oh my goodness. <coughs> oh, you'd think I'd edit that out, but I didn't, clearly. Anyway, let's move on to The Magnificent. Now, this is another uh, design uh, team superstar get-together. The team that brought us Avenue and Santa Maria, which were two of the best games that I have, that we have played in the last few years. Santa Maria made my top 10. Did Avenue as well? I think they were both top 10 of the year games. Both amazing from the design team of Elif Svensson and Christian Ostby. And uh, so these guys are getting together again for a game that is all about um, running a circus, I believe. And it's a, uh, another Tetris-style tile-laying game. And so that all sounds very, very cool. Should be great. And it looks like this is a big box thing. So unlike Avenue, which was a smaller, lighter game, I'm expecting, well, I'm hoping for a bigger, deeper, richer, meatier game like Santa Maria. Okay. And um, right uh, continuing on, we're not done with those guys because they will also be giving us the uh, spiritual sequel 
to um, Avenue. Uh, it's called Trails of Tucana. And uh, it's coming from Aporta. So once again, they're publishing another one. It's a, is it a, see, the last one was a flip and write. You know, uh, you don't, you don't roll dice and write stuff down. You uh, flip cards. This one, I'm not sure, but it, it looks like it's uh, the same kind of stuff. Yeah. So definitely a follow up. And it's interesting. This is the second follow up because, of course, Avenue is so great that it got the wonderful reprint, Avenue of uh, the Kodamas. I think that's what it was called. And uh, that was basically taking the core game and adding a few new things. This looks like it pushes really a lot further, if for no other reason than the fact that we now have a hex map we are drawing on and making routes through instead of a uh, grid map, which automatically makes it a deeper, richer game. So, Trails of Tucana, I'm definitely keen on because, again, I cannot stress enough just how fantastic Avenue was. So, uh, looking forward to that. Then, moving on, we have Marco Polo 2, which when I wrote, let's see, when I, when I added this to the list back in the middle of July, there all that was in the description was Marco Polo 2 is not the final title and uh, it's a sequel and that's all there was. Let's see if things have updated since then and there's a bit more information. No, the description is still Marco Polo 2 is not the final name of this design, but it gives you a sense of what it's like, what, uh, what it's like, should you know the original game? And if you don't know the original game, folks, I strongly suggest you take it out. Marco Polo, or I think it was actually called The Voyages of Marco Polo, was phenomenal. From um, the uh, same design group that gave us Zulkin and so many other wonderful games, Marco Polo was a fantastic dike worker, dice worker placement game. And so... I don't know. Uh, categories, dice rolling, point-to-point movement, variable player powers, worker placement. I'm assuming it's more of the same, but at this point, it's all a mystery, and I imagine we'll find out more as we get closer to Essen Spiel. In the meantime, publisher Hans and Gluck is just playing their cards close to their vest. After that, we've got Skytopia in the Circle of Time. And um, here's the deal. This is the next game from designer Ivan Lashkin, who last year put out the amazing Smartphone Inc., which was just, I mean, it really blew up. Uh, it got reprinted and brought over to a wider audience. I think people are absolutely loving it. Jen and I were very, very impressed by the early prototype we played of it uh, in the lead-up. And so this is his follow-up game, and as near as I can tell from the cover art and from the description, it kind of sounds like a board game version of Laputa, Castle in the Sky, because it is about giant golems that are building sky castles. So, uh, Laputa, uh, for folks who don't know, is, for my money, the greatest uh, animated film from Studio Ghibli ever. Yes, I, I said it and I stand by it. I absolutely love that movie, love the subject matter, love the soft, gentle uh, setting, and it looks like this is uh, recreating that, but from the guy who gave us Smartphone Inc., which was a phenomenal design, so I'm very excited about this. All the more so because, like last year, when um, publisher... Oh, what is the name of that publisher? Uh, oh, this is going to drive me nuts. I'm going to have to look it up here. Yeah, Cosmodrome. Yes, Cosmodrome. They sent me a prototype for smartphone, and Jen are very impressed by it. Got the run-through done in time for Essen. They've sent me a prototype for this, too, and I'm hoping to get this to the table and filmed uh, in time for the show as well. So in the meantime, though, just know I'm very excited about Skytopia Circle of Time. Then we've got Fire! which is uh, F-I-R-E with an exclamation point. And this is another uh, small card game from Freedom and Freeze. And like, uh, oh, 
uh, two of his early, earlier games from the last few years, Fabled Fruit had this same kind of put forth this idea of a game that grows and morphs and evolves over time as new rules get added through subsequent plays and old rules get jettisoned. I love the idea in Fabled Fruit, but it was just a terrible two-player game, and so it didn't really work for me in Gen. But he revisited the idea, was it last year, in Fine Sand? And there, oh man, he nailed it. Uh, Fine Sand was one of Jen's favorite games of the year. Really sharp, sharp stuff. And so now he's taking the idea again and applying it to, it looks like, classic 80s uh, arcade video games. And uh, so, and it's a cooperative game as well. So this, uh, fingers crossed, this is going to be the epitome, uh, you know, the zenith of this uh, this push that Friedman is doing. These uh, little tiny card games that start out small but evolve and grow over subsequent plays. And hey, I I've, I've played a I've put a, pumped a lot of quarters uh, in my time uh, back in the 70s and 80s. So obviously the subject matter should be very engaging as well with fire. Okay, then we've got Florenza the dice game. And um, I, I covered Florenza and Florenza the card game back in the day. Uh, they were both excellent, excellent, you know, very straight uh, Euro-style uh, patrons of the arts, you know, and investing and doing Euro-y type stuff. Uh, Florenza, I, I mean, it's so long. I remember I had some issues. Maybe it wasn't as best of two, but then Florenza the card game was very, very good. But, um, hey, forget about those. Those are ancient history. Now we get a roll and write. And considering both the uh, previous games were very, very sharp, and considering how much, Jen, I love roll and writes, I'm not burned out on them yet, folks, so bring it on. More roll and writes, revisiting really great, solid, older designs with Florenza the dice game. Then um, we've got, okay, well, this is old news, uh, Gugong Panjun, which uh, is the first big box expansion for Gugong. It's on Kickstarter right now, and you might know that because I've already done a rundown for it. So you can you already know what I thought about it, and uh, I'm, I'm just going through the entire list. It just shows how far behind I am after skipping a month. So uh, Gugong Panjun is phenomenal. Apparently... One thing to know about it, though, it, it, one tricky element, which I didn't talk about because I didn't realize, because actually I filmed my rundown before I even saw anything about the Kickstarter page. Apparently, what's on Kickstarter is the deluxe version of Panjun as an expansion, and apparently the deluxe edition of this expansion is not compatible with the standard retail edition of the original Gugong. So that's something to know. If you've got Gugong Deluxe, then you want to get Panjun Deluxe, and if you've got regular Gugong like I do, you want regular Gugong, which means you don't want to back it on the Kickstarter, which is really weird. Just very strange. And, um, you know, it's also very off-putting. I mean, a lot of people are saying this is way too expensive as an expansion because they're only allowing the big deluxe version with all the really fancy components that I did not have in my rundown. So there's a, there's a little bit of complexity going on there. It depends on what's come before. But all I can say is uh, Panjun easily made my top 10 of last year. Or, I'm sorry, no, Gugong did. And Panjun makes it even better. I was surprised just how much really amazing stuff there was in Gugong Panjun. But then moving on, something I haven't talked about yet. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Uh, Jigan. Uh, J-I-G-U-A-N. Uh, the Eastern Mechanist. This is a uh, new game from designer Eros Lin, who uh, you know a few years ago brought us Burano 
and um, Roundhouse. Those were both phenomenal, heavier Euro-style games. And, uh, you know, he's got another design coming now from publisher S4, Emperor S4. And this is going to be another uh, Euro, uh, you know, coming from the Far East that will be available at Essen. And they are going to be sending me an early pre-production copy. So I'll be able to do a run-through or a rundown or something in time for the show. And again, based on the strength of his earlier designs, those were both very impressive. Um, I'm, I'm, I have big hopes for the Eastern uh, Mechanist. And I, I did actually read the rules for this because I always check out the rules. Whenever they contact me and say, hey, do you want to cover these games? I'm always like, well, I, I need to check out the rules first. And I'm trying to remember what they were now. This was a few weeks ago I read it. It, um, And I don't remember. But I did. Okay. So what I can say is, folks, I did take the time to read the rules all the way through, as I do for dozens of games every week. And almost all of those games I say no to, I'm not going to cover it. This one, I said yes. So at this point, that's the strongest thing I can say. Oh, yeah. Um, In my notes, I wrote here that it's all about mechanical engineering in ancient China. It's not quite. I do remember this. It's more like a steampunk version of ancient China, which is a very, very cool idea in and of itself. So lots of interesting stuff there with uh, Jigaon, uh, the Eastern Mechanist. But then moving on, this is something probably everybody has heard about because it made a big splash at Gen Con, and I'm way late to the party. But hey, I might as well mention in passing Marvel Champions, the card game. Because uh, it's a it's a Fantasy Flight's latest salvo, a latest opening salvo in an ongoing living card game where they put out the base game, people get hooked, and then just month after month, quarter after quarter, they bring out more and more and more and more and more content. This time, it's not Lord of the Rings. It's not um, oh uh, Android Netrunner. It's uh, you know it's a Marvel superhero comics, which. I have a very soft spot for. I've been reading Marvel comics since I was a little kid. Spider-Man has always been my favorite superhero of all time. And um, from the reports at the show, it sounded like this was a very solid cooperative game, which I'm very excited about. So I certainly want to give the base game a try, mixing and matching some of my favorite heroes to go up against villains and whatnot. But at the same time, I'm terrified of it. Well, actually, I, I would be terrified of it if I were a normal player, because then if I liked it, I would just kind of get addicted to it, uh, like uh, you know the Final Fan- the Fantasy Flight model. Fortunately, I'm not a regular player. I'm just not in a situation where I can go back and revisit over and over and over again. So I look forward to enjoying my time with Marvel Champions, the card game, and then moving on, unlike I suspect a lot of poor victims who will get addicted and keep buying more and more and more. And more power to them. Hey, if, you're having, if it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Then after that, we've got Miyabi. And this is from design superstar Michael Kiesling. He has been on an incredible tear uh, over the last couple of years. This is his latest one. And the interesting thing is this is coming from Haba. And Haba, of course, is known for making kids' games. But a few years ago, they launched a family game line. And their first one was uh, Kiesling and Kramer putting out Adventureland or Aventureland. And uh, uh, Kiesling is coming back to put another one of his family-friendly, so kind of more gateway as opposed to little kid-level Euro-style games. And um, yeah, apparently it's about uh, designing Japanese gardens, so I expect it'll be very pretty. I expect it will be brilliantly designed, and uh, I expect it'll probably sell out pretty quick at Essen. And I have heard from Haba... 
Uh, and uh, apparently they are going to try and get me a, another pre-production copy of this in the next few weeks so I can cover it before the show. Essen is getting scary, folks. I don't think I'm going to be able to cover everything that's coming my way. I don't know, but that's a problem for tomorrow because right now I'm just talking about new exciting games. Um, you know, is this going to hit the high watermark that Azul did? Uh, probably not, but still, I expect really good things from Miyabi. Then we've got Nova Luna. And let's see here. Oh, oh my gosh. The desi- there's a, It's a design team up here. Uwe Rosenberg. Okay, you know who that is. And um, uh, Korn Van uh, uh, Mursel. I'm not sure how to say your name, Korn or Cornet. Uh, he is the designer of Habitats and Factory Fun and Roll to the Top. Three games I've covered in the last few years, which were all fantastic. And so, um, you know, Cornet is... I mean, he's got his followers. He does pretty well putting out, you know, small little uh, Kickstarter games that generally tend to get picked up by others, and they've all been fantastic. And now he is teaming up with the heaviest of heavy hitters in the board game industry to make an abstractist tile laying game. So. You know, um, you know, Uwe Rosenberg, he has been just on a tear for tile layers for the last few years with is putting out polyomino after polyomino after polyomino game. And um, Corn is, you know, Habitats is one of the best tile lane games I've ever played, period. And so these two guys working together means Nova Luna, I suspect, is going to be pretty amazing. My only worry is how abstract is it? It could be completely 100% abstract. I need a little bit of theme in my tile layers, but still... I'm cautiously optimistic about Nova Luna. Then we've got Paris New Eden. Another game that I believe they're going to try and send me out a copy before Essen comes around. Uh, So hopefully I'll get to cover it. But at this point, all I know is it is a post-apocalypse game. Not a, you know, Mad Max or... Um, you know, Fallout style, terrible, horrible future world that no one would want to be in. This is one of those, hey, um, you know, the, the earth has taken over and the world is now a lush paradise and humanity has gotten a little bit more primitive, uh, you know, kind of reverted a little bit. And uh, this just seems like a gorgeous, lush, beautiful, um, oh, apparently a deck building game and uh, a deck building and dice drafting. I like all these things as we try to ensure that survivors of whatever the uh, natural apocalypse was can um, you know thrive and survive in this gorgeous-looking world. So, um, yeah, I am keen on this, and uh, I don't know much more about it. It is from Madigo. This is going to be the first Madigo game I think I've played in years, um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, checking out Paris, New Eden. And okay, once again, this is just how old this um, uh, list is. Runestones. I think the Kickstarter for this has already come and gone. And I did a rundown for it. And it is a fantastic deck builder. The first deck builder ever from design superstar Rudiger Dorn. Uh, Hopefully you already know about it. Hopefully you didn't miss it. But hey, it's from Queen. It will get a wide release eventually. And mainly I am so excited about whatever expansion content they're going to do. Because the base game is really sharp with runestones. Oh, this is very, very cool. Next up we've got... So... You've been eaten. 
is the title. Literally, there's so, comma, you've been eaten. Here's the subject matter. This is a two-player-only game. It is a bit of a dueling game with asymmetrical powers. One player is an astronaut who has been eaten alive by the other player, a big, giant space monster. And so the astronaut is now trapped in the belly of this space beast. And so one player is the astronaut trying to escape. The other player is the space beast trying to digest him. And this just sounds so cool. Uh, The art is from Quan Chai Moria. And from what I've seen, it looks absolutely gorgeous. I am in love with this subject matter. You know, Jen and I generally don't like to play dueling games, but this is a duel I think we would very much enjoy. And for uh, further... Uh, support for this being an exciting game. Paolo, the guy who does all of my goof checking, he's actually been involved with the development of this game because it's from Looted Creations. And, um, you know, so, you know, you might say he's a little bit too close to it, but he says it is a very clever game. Uh, He has uh, been very impressed by it. So, You've Been Eaten is, um, you know, I don't know, is this going to make my top 10 most anticipated for Essen? It'll certainly be in my top 20, maybe my top 10. I'll have to look into it a little bit more because obviously that's, is that going to be my next podcast? I think it might be. I think, yeah, we got this regular podcast. We did the Gen Con one, then we do this one, then we do the Essen preview one. That's probably how it's going to be. So I'll probably be talking about this a little bit more next month. Uh, but anyway, let's move on uh, with more stuff this month because I've still got so many to go. We've got Time of Legends Destinies. This is interesting. This is from, uh, was it Lucky Duck Games? The uh, publisher of Chronicles of Crime. And Chronicles of Crime, oh my gosh, this has been such a monster hit. Just absolutely, uh, you know, the, a, a, a huge seller for that publisher. And with good reason. It's It basically is a using all the best tricks that modern board game development can use to make a fun and exciting cooperative mystery-solving game. Uh, but I've already done a run-through for it. You, you, you've hopefully heard about it. You've heard about uh, the game. That's all well and good. But here's what's very exciting. This is the sequel, um, Time of Legends Destinies. And it is not a Sherlock Holmes-esque, everybody works cooperatively to solve a mystery while using a smartphone app to keep the game running. This is more of a fantasy role-playing adventure game where the app stands in as a uh, dungeon master. And uh, if all that weren't enough, it's not cooperative, it's competitive. So, this... Um, sounds very, very intriguing to me. And considering just how good a job they did with Chronicles of Crime integrating that digital app into traditional analog gameplay, I am very interested in seeing what they come up with, Time of Legends Destinies. Then after that, we... Oh, this is interesting. Time Stories Revolution Experience. Um... Time Stories, the uh, first iteration is done. I did a video for every single one of the games. That storyline is completed, and we're moving on to the second season of Time Stories, and it has gotten a major rebranding. It is Time Stories No More. It is now Time Stories Revolution. And every chapter of Time Stories Revolution is going to be a completely standalone game. There's not going to be like that central game that you have to own that's kind of like the VCR that you buy expansions for. Now, I think the game will have more of a feel like Unlock or a Deckscape or something like that where, hey, there's just new chapters that come out. They're all standalone. You play them and then you move on. 
So, um, the interesting thing is, unlike the original time stories where you were supposed to play it in chronological order because there was a meta story being uh, more and more revealed as time went on, now you can play all the adventures that are going to be coming out over the next few years in any order you want. You can skip around. And to have the meta narrative uh, be introduced that ties the whole thing together, you can separately pick up Time Stories Revolution Experience, which I don't know how this works, but apparently it's something that you refer back to as you're playing in all the other chapters, all the individual modules that you can get, those tie into experience. So, like many people who were disappointed that the first time story's meta story was not resolved. It was basically acted like lost. Hey, uh, you know, more questions were asked than answered. And so people were upset and disappointed. And, um, you know, I guess some people say, man, I wish they just even have this meta story in there. Well, if you don't want the meta story, just don't pick up experience. And you can just enjoy each adventure as a little standalone episodic title. But if you want to have a big narrative arc that ties them all together, you buy this separate game. So I don't know how this works. Uh, maybe this means it is still somewhat like the original time stories where there was this one separate thing that tied everything together. But it's optional now instead of mandatory. Uh, all I know is it sounds like the the developers behind time stories are not resting on their laurels and they are planning on being very bold and experimental trying to re-leverage their formula and not just giving us more of the same. So I am certainly intrigued and excited for, otherwise it wouldn't be on this list, Time Stories Revolution experience. Okay. After that, oh, this is nice. Has this come out? I know it was coming on Kickstarter. Maybe it came and gone. Maybe it hasn't out yet, but still, I'm a little late to the party, but I will mention Ultra Tiny Epic Galaxies sounds adorable. Now, this is certainly not something you need because Tiny Epic Galaxies, which is the best of the Tiny Epic series of games. No, that's not true. Most people think it's the best. Tiny Epic Defenders is the best. Tiny Epic Galaxies is the second best. But here's the thing. Um, if you never picked up Tiny Epic Galaxies, or if you did get it, but for some reason you thought, this is not tiny enough. I need it to be even tinier. The game is basically getting reprinted in a new ultra-portable package. It's basically the size of a deck of 52 poker cards. So that is the entire game. Uh, and, it, and you know, Tiny Epic Galaxies was a very rich and robust... How, how, how can it be that tiny? Is it going to come with really tiny dice? I don't know. I haven't looked into it yet. I'm intrigued. Just how tiny can tiny epic games get? We'll find out with ultra tiny epic galaxies. Crazy, man. Okay, then there is um, Dragonfire Waterdeep. Now, this is really interesting. Um... I have to admit, I am woefully behind. Remember I was talking earlier about the pain and anguish of a game that keeps getting more and more expansion content? I mentioned that for the uh, Marvel game from Fantasy Flight. Uh, well, another game that's out there that's like that is um, uh, the Dragonfire series. And I've got copies of all the expansions for, I guess you could say, the first wave. And I've only played through about half of them. And I need to get the rest done because this is the announcement of the second wave. Waterdeep. Um, let's see. And it's not just Waterdeep. Several other games were announced. Uh, Into the Abyss, Insanity in the Abyss, Under Mountain Madness. And um, yeah, so there is more coming for Dragonfire. Um, will we continue to level up our characters? Will they become even more godly? Will we have to start over? I don't know. Looking forward to finding out. Although... Again, filled with dread because I don't have time to keep going back and playing the same game, but I want to because Dragonfire is very good. Although, the last one we played, 
the one that introduced the uh, the wear curse, it has kind of dampened our enthusiasm for the game a little bit because it does add a lot of extra bookkeeping that slows the game down, which is why I haven't gone back and finished the other games. Hopefully, we will eventually be able to lose that wear curse and continue on and explore Waterdeep and all these other expansions. Oh, and the most interesting thing, maybe something that will help me um, get through more Dragonfire is this new wave of games is going to introduce true solo play where you only have to control one character instead of, you know, um, tag team, one player having to control two if you want to play solo. If that's the case, that's going to be a big boon to me because the toughest thing that keeps me from getting games to the table is not my enthusiasm for doing it, but it's Jen's time because I've always got to try and squeeze games in with her um, in between her making glass and running our lives and and everything else because she is a very busy woman. And so being able to play Dragonfire solo, that is very exciting. I'm very looking forward to that uh, because I would like to keep on going in my Dragonfire campaigns, even if I have to leave Jen behind. Oh, so sad. After that, we've got... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So moving on, Last Bastion. So, this is crazy. I do not know where this came from or how this happened. But this is basically designer Antoine Bauza revisiting one of his most loved games of all time, Ghost Stories. This is from the same publisher, the same designer. It's the same basic cooperative... Uh, oh, castle defense system where players are working cooperatively in the center of the board and in, you know infinite, seemingly infinite waves of just unstoppable monsters come your way and it seems impossible to win and yet somehow if you play your best you will actually survive ghost stories is so well loved and um you know it's gotten several expansions and whatnot and i'm really surprised that they've decided to go back to the drawing board completely retheme it i'm gonna assume they probably uh changed gameplay as well because if not they could have just done a, a fourth print run of uh, ghost stories anyway i'm excited about this because i thought ghost stories was really good Jen um, did not be, or she didn't like it because Jen hates completely unrelenting, uh, um, you know, demoralizing co-ops, which Ghost Stories certainly is. But I enjoyed it. And my only complaint about Ghost Stories was as cool, as fresh, and unique as the uh, Chinese Ghost Story scenario setting was. I personally would have liked more of just a traditional high fantasy because I like high fantasy. So. That's what they're giving us. They're giving us a high fantasy version of ghost stories. I don't know that anybody was asking for this. So, I mean, it, so they must be changing the gameplay in significant ways so this can really stand on its own. So, I hope that they change the gameplay so that the game has more of a roller coaster vibe to it where things seem impossible, but then we get a breather and then they get impossible again because that's the kind of co-op Jen likes and I want her to enjoy the base game as much as I did. So I'm excited, folks, as you might imagine, for Last Bastion. Then, okay, Tapestry. Hey, back in August 2nd, I mentioned a little game called Tapestry. I have since then done a run-through and um, just this morning, on was I'm, I'm, I'm recording this on September 4th, I made my final thoughts public. So I feel that I have said enough about Tapestry other than I would be shocked if this is not my number one game of the year. I have now played the game eight times in total, thanks in part to the embargo that gave we reviewers more time to really let the game sink in. Very much appreciated. And it turns out it is absolutely phenomenal. Just barely beats Black Angel at this point anyway for the number one game of the year. Um, Man, is Essen going to be able to produce anything that can beat Tapestry and Black Angel? I don't know. Let's keep going on the list. Maybe I'll, I'll come across something. How about... Oh, by the way, I'm sorry. Tapestry is a uh, a, a very Care Bear-friendly 
empire-building civilization game with the four X's exploring, expanding, exploiting, and exterminating. Uh, and yet, in spite of that, like I said, well, it's I mean, you know, it it doesn't quite beat Nations as my favorite Civ game of all time. But oh man, it it, it is so close. All right. Moving right along to Chrono Corsairs. And, um, right, this is interesting. It's from Tasty Mistral Games. They haven't really said much about it. But apparently it's action programming, which, you know, I absolutely love. One of my favorite things. And apparently it has to do with time loops. Let's see. Uh, back when I wrote the, wrote about the, or when I made, there wasn't much known. Let's see. If in the subsequent three weeks, more information has been added. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. There's now pictures and whatnot. I guess kind of the advantage of waiting a long time before I do these. Wow. It looks really pretty. It's got purple player characters. Purple pirates. So that means Jen's going to be on board. And yeah, so it's, you know, at the time, all I knew was it was action movement programming. It has an area control thing, which means I, I worry, like many pirate games, maybe it'll be a little bit too in your face for me and Jen. But the main thing is... Um, these pirates are trapped in a time loop. And at the start of each time loop, you uh, select your plans to place in the timeline, then follow those plans as the crew travels around the island. So, I, you know, so basically, uh, time stories meet uh, pirates searching for buried treasure. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. The game presentation looks great. I don't recognize the names of these designers, so it looks like it's a couple of first-timers. And uh, is that true? Let's see. Okay, here we go. John uh, Brieger, he has done the Refuge, and uh, and a little mini expansion for cartographers. Mm, so not much. Uh, and Vincent Herzl, this is his first. So it's a couple of uh, brand new designers, but Tasty Minstrel. I am generally very very happy with what they put out, and there's a lot here to be excited about. Chrono Corsairs. All righty. Moving right along, uh, how about Clank and Space Cyber Station 11? Um, and the, the weird thing is, I, you know, it's, it's another expansion for Clank and Space. That's cool. But the whole point of Clank and Space is you get these uh, modules that you plug into your board so you can just you know, mix and match with the old stuff. Apparently, at least what I wrote back on August 10th when I added this to the list is, this one has an entirely new single map, so it isn't doing the customizable modular maps. Is that really true? Let's uh, check in again uh, 20 days later, or you know, um, uh, three weeks later. And nope, still not much here. Oh, but wow. Okay, no, there are pictures now. And yes, this is a completely new map, but it's still a modular approach, but it's like a completely different shape. It looks more like, uh, well, oh, no, no, no. Okay. No, it looks like it will still fit with the original shape pieces, but it creates more of kind of a Death Star instead of a um, a ship where you go from one end to the other. It looks like it's one there you have a lot more flexibility to move around in any direction. Wow, okay, this is a lot more interesting than I thought. And hey, I like Clank and Space, so I was already um, into it. That's Clank and Space Cyber Station 11. Then there is the Gates of delirium okay and this is from a husband and wife designer team and i have played one of their games before it was a very sharp little abstract unfortunately very cutthroat game called lotus i thought the design was brilliant it just wasn't a good fit for us because it was very in your face um but considering how good that was and uh you know this one it's uh let's see what did i write down 
because uh, it's been a while. Um, very clever hand management game where each card has two different modes that can be played. Okay, yes. Multi-use cards. Yes, please. Gates of Delirium, I don't know. Descents into Madness, who knows? But again, their previous game was very good. Hopefully this one isn't quite so cutthroat, but multi-use cards always pulls me in. So that's why I put Gates of Delirium on the list. And after that, we've got the 7th Citadel, which... Uh, is not going to come out in 2019, but I wouldn't be surprised if it does come out on Kickstarter, although that isn't announced either. But this is basically the sequel to Seventh Guest. Um, and instead of going back to the same crazy um, uh, lost island we were on, this one is now a big, sprawling uh, fantasy adventure game. So, I love fantasy adventures, and I thought Seventh Guest was one of the coolest things ever. I'm sorry, did I say Seventh Guest? No. Seventh Guest is a really old classic CD-ROM. You know, it's the one that created the CD-ROM video game, computer game for, um, craze back in the uh, 90s. I'm sorry. The, the uh, Seventh Citadel is the sequel to The Seventh Continent. Yeah, that makes more sense. Seventh Continent is amazing. So I can only assume that Seventh Citadel will build on the strengths of that game and hopefully become a better multiplayer game. Because my only complaint about Seventh Continent is it was originally designed to be a solo-only game, and they did put multiplayer stuff in, and it worked, but it wasn't great. I'm hoping its sequel, set in a high fantasy universe, will do a better job at um, your real interplay between players. But anyway, that's the Seventh Citadel. Then we've got Ra- Bleh. Walking in Province. Now, I've already done a video for Walking in Burano, which is a phenomenal little game. And that's all I need to know. This is the sequel. And it's uh, it's a d- totally different style of gameplay, but from the same developers. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing this Walking in Lovely Places of the World uh, continue with Walking in Province. Uh, it looks like... Uh, there'll be lots of flower fields. Oh, that's right. Yes, I do remember. This is uh, one of those games where you have cards that have little grid patterns on them, and you are basically kind of stitching together a little tapestry of a personal board that you travel around. I've seen a bunch of games that do that, um, probably most famously Honshu. And uh, Jen always loves, 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 loves that sort of puzzle of how do I stitch this together with all the other cards I've played and so, considering how good walking in uh, Burano was, high hopes for walking in province. Unfortunately, I did ask well, um, from uh, Emperor uh, S4, since they were sending me those other games, hey, could you send me that too? I'd love to cover it ahead of time. And they said, nope, that one won't be ready until it's uh, available for pickup at the show itself. So I unfortunately won't be covering that till probably November, December, who knows. Um, but still excited for more walking in, this time province. Then we've got, oh, this is crazy. Uh, The Edge of Darkness, Cliffs of Cold Harbor. Um, Honestly, with all the content we got with the first, the uh, Sands of Doonstar expansion for uh, Edge of Darkness, I didn't think we needed any more. But folks, if you missed out, I mean, I'm gonna, at this point, I'm going to assume Edge of Darkness is never going to be for sale in shops. And because of the incredibly high production costs with the crazy uh, tower and the, uh, you know, the card crafting. Anyway, I've, I've done run-throughs for Edge of Darkness, and uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. And apparently it's coming back to Kickstarter. And so folks who missed out on the first run will be able to pick it up this time and get a new expansion's worth. So that's really, really cool. Because, uh, um, you know, Edge of Darkness, is that going to make my top 10 of the year? It might. It might. I'm going to look right now. I'm just going to see where is it right now. Ranked. 
ranked.rotto.com and then search for uh, parenthesis 2019. Let's see, right now, my number one game of the year is Tapestry, Black Angel number two, Tiny Towns number three, Wingspan number four. Edge of Darkness is currently, at this point, my number five best game of 2019. Uh, I don't know if it'll stay because, hey, if uh, five games come out that are better than it between now and the end of the year, it'll get pushed out. But Edge of Darkness is phenomenal. Absolutely adore it. Happy to own it. Definitely a keeper. Want more, please, with uh, the Cliffs of Cold Harbor. And then we've got The School of Sorcery. Oh my gosh! Yes! This is from um, uh, Steve Finn, Dr. Finn Games. This is the sequel slash re-implementation of the Institute for Magical Arts. And Institute is probably my second, maybe third favorite game of Dr. Finn's. Absolutely phenomenal um, two-player only uh, area control game uh, with, oh man, so much great, wonderful stuff. For a lot of people, I think it's probably his best. Although Biblios and oh the uh, the Mafia Prohibition one, uh, Prohibition era one. Oh, I'm drawing a blank. But I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Anyway, Institute of Magical Arts is a phenomenal two-player only area control game. We absolutely love it. It's now getting a reprint, retheme. Same basic idea. A a because uh, now it's called School of Sorcery instead of Institute of Magical Arts. Same basic idea. I am very interested to see in what he does to change up what was already one of his most perfect designs ever. And this is from a really good designer. So, very keen on learning more about School of Sorcery. Oh boy, folks, I think we're getting close to the end, but there's still a few more to go. Uh, Aristocracy. Okay, I don't know uh, anything about this because I didn't need to know anything other than it's from Tasty Minstrel Games. And again, I mean, Tasty Mitchell Games, to be fair, they do put out their fair share of clunkers. They seem to put out a lot of little tiny box games that they just bang out really quick. I tend, They tend not to even send me those um, for review, and I'm kind of thankful because they don't really look that great. But I tend to... All the games of theirs that I play, I always think are really, really sharp. And um, so... I'm, that's why I'm always excited for another big box game. I, again, I can't say all of their little tiny games are their greatest. I haven't played the majority of them, but their big box games are always sharp. And Aristocracy, therefore, I am very, very keen on. But here's why. It's from designer Reiner Knizia, one of the most important, influential, um, renowned board game designers of all time, with good reason. This is the first time he's ever teamed up with Tasty Minstrel. So yes, please bring it on. And it looks like I'm just basing this solely off of the cover art. Let's look at. Let's confirm if this is true. It looks like this is set in their same Euro fantasy universe as Harbor and um, what was it? Embark and uh, oh, I, I can't remember the name of all of them. Alrighty. But, okay, I'm spending more time in this. Uh, yeah, yes, it is. Uh, so, it's going to be an interesting fantasy setting. It's going to be from designer Reiner Knizia and publisher Tasty Minstrel Games. Yes, please, every step of the way. As I said in the uh, Games of Interest list, let's do this. Okay, moving right along. Oh, here's something that might push its way into the top 10 of the year Orleans Stories. So, here's the deal. And now, is this. An expansion or is it a standalone? Let's look that up. Because uh, Orleans, you know, uh, basically didn't create but popularized the idea of bag building, and it's still one of the best, one of the most loved. And the, you know, and it's had quite a bit uh, expansion content and promos over the years. This is the first really 
big change. And um, yeah, okay, this is not or this is not an expansion for Orleans. This is a standalone game that was inspired by Orleans. It looks like the board is radically different. And all that's very, very cool. But what I'm most interested in this um, is the fact that this is narrative-driven. It comes with a storybook. It seems to me that this is uh, designer Reiner Stockhausen maybe taking some inspiration from um, Alexander Pfister, who has really been at the forefront of infusing more and more narrative into Euro designs over the last few years. And also Ryan Lockett, who uh, you know has really been knocking out of the park doing this with... Uh, uh, above and Below, and then Near and Far, and now the upcoming Sleeping Gods. So, I am a big, big fan of uh, Euro designers casting off their Jace shackles, the Just Another Soulless Euro, and embracing story, and embracing narrative, and working it in to their cold, dusty Euro bones. And so, um, you know, doing this with Orleans, for Orleans stories, yes. Yes, this is very, very exciting. Very new, exciting stuff. Apparently, some people thought this was going to be some kind of legacy game. No, it's not. It's 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 just that there is story worked in here the same way um, some other games are doing. I'm very excited about that. Another thing I'm excited about, Empires of the North, Japanese Islands. Two new decks of cards for my number one game of August that I played, although it, retroactively it's not. It's my number two game because Tapestry was really my number one game because I was finally able to get past the embargo and talk about how exciting Tapestry is. But still, that does not change the fact that uh, Imperial Settlers Empires of the North, if you haven't seen my uh, run-through for it yet, is fantastic, is absolutely phenomenal. Let's go back to that top ten list. Is it in my top ten at the moment? Let's see, Edge of Darkness was uh, number five. Arion 6, Imperial Settlers Empires of the North is currently, as of today, my number 7 best game of the year, and expansion content is coming forward! Hooray! That is very, very good. Alright, let's just finish that out. Number 8 is CROS, number 9, Pandemic Rapid Response, and number 10, King Domino Duel. Okay. Oh, what the heck, let's keep going. Number 11 is Villagers, 12, Old West Empresario, 13, Rolled West, 14, Clank Legacy, uh, 15, Valley of the Kings Premium, 16, Artsy, 17, Rail Pass, 18, Crossroads, Crossroad Hong Kong on Kickstarter right now. Uh, 19, Copenhagen, 20, Corinth. And yeah, so those are my top 20 of the year as of September 4th. But that's a very subject chain list. But I only did that to remind folks that's just how good I think Empires of the North is. And more is good. Japanese islands. And okay, I promised I would earlier. I'm returning to time stories, folks, because hey, the first uh, time stories uh, standalone module, the Hadal project, has um, officially been announced. Um, and it, uh, this is the most interesting thing about it. It's the first time in time stories where we are, you know, Time Stories is a time travel game where we are people in the far future going into the past and fixing right what went wrong. This is the first time we are jumping into the future, into the year 2099. So that's very, very cool. But there's so much. I, I cannot wait to see what they do. My fervent hope is with Time Stories Revolution, they've completely abandoned dice. That would be so amazing. That's my, uh, yeah, that's my guess. Because, in part because of what happened with the spoiler. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to spoil the ending of the last Time Stories first season. What was it, Madam? Other than to say, it gives me the impression that dice are a thing of the past. Fingers crossed for Time Stories Revolution, the Hadal Project. 
Then, oh, Tiny Towns Fortune. Okay, the pair, I should, I'm jumping the gun here. This probably won't come out till 2020, and it certainly won't go on Kickstarter because uh, uh, Tiny Tiny Towns is so amazing. But yay for more Tiny Towns, and um, yay for not just putting more buildings, more of the same in, adding a totally new function to the game, the idea of money, which could mean so many different things. I'm very excited about Tiny Towns Fortune, but I shouldn't be talking about it. Uh, so let's skip on past that to my final Game of interest, folks. Whew, that was a lot. How long have I been talking now? Oh my gosh, over 50 minutes. Oh dear, this is going to be a long podcast. I don't know if I'm going to make it through all the... <sighs> Maybe I should put the top 10s on hold, because there are a bajillion Q&As. Well, you'll find out soon enough. Of course, you can just check the show notes right now and find out. Um, but anyway, uh, the final game of interest, which I just added to the list just this morning, right before filming... Kitchen Rush, the revised edition. And now this is really weird. Kitchen Rush was published by Artipia Games. And I talked earlier about how this year they're doing basically the sequel, um, Rush MD. Kitchen Rush Revised Edition is not from Artipia. It's been picked up by Pegasus Spiel. And apparently, it's getting some changes. Some ch-ch-ch-changes. Oh, that's it. Uh, Vangelis uh, Atakis. And Dave Churchy were the designers of Kitchen Rush. And, um, you know, the main thing is, apparently it's now getting a modular board. It's getting a complete graphical overhaul. And it's from a completely different publisher. So, apparently this means it's incompatible with the expansion content that came out for the first Kitchen Rush? I don't really know. I'm not quite certain what's going on here. Um, since they changed all the art. Did they change the gameplay at all? It, the description does mention there have been some tweaks to the gameplay, although I don't know what they are. Very mysterious. Very mysterious indeed. But if you want more real-time, cooperative worker placement, well, Kitchen Rush is back, baby, with the revised edition from Pegasus Spiel instead of Artipia Games. And that's it, folks. Phew! That was a whole lot of games of interest. I'm going to go get a drink of water, and then I will take a look to see just how long... Because I think I think you, I think the top tens... What were the top tens going to be? They were going to be... Um, Bippity-boppity-boop. Oh, man, I've opened too many windows now. They were going to be... Um, what was it? Top ten... Oh, masochistic games, and... Oh, the revisit for the top ten worker placement. Oh, that's going to be a big one. Because i got to talk a lot about worker placement stuff. Yeah, folks, I'm sorry. Top 10 revisits have been put on hold, but that just means there'll be three top 10 revisits in November. Won't that be exciting? Uh, and it would probably be fine because uh, the games of interest, there won't be very many because near the end of the year, there aren't very many games of interest to talk about, so I'll have more time to talk about top 10 revisits. And for now, folks, that was a lot of live dithering. You've been very patient. Hold on just a little bit longer, and we'll be right back with some questions and answers right after this. Hey everybody, welcome back. As promised, I am skipping the top tens because that was way too many games, but what's more, there are way too many questions and so jen is now here hi honey pie what is it about this month that have made people send in loads of questions it's that we're actually having two months worth of questions because last month's podcast which you were not here for was me doing a gen con specific 
preview show. Ah. So there were no questions. There were no games of interest. There were no top ten revisits. Well, we did one last month, didn't we? Wasn't it July that I was gone for? Uh, yes, we you did one for July. And um, the one for August where you... we. Uh, okay, yeah, you're a month behind. Yes. Okay, got it. Okay. Jen's caught up, everybody. We've gotten the logistics figured out. I had already worked this out with them at the beginning of the podcast, but... Oh. Well, I wasn't here for that. You were not here for that, but you're here now, <laughs> ready... Hello. Hi, everybody! Ready to uh, sit quietly by on your laptop doing who knows what, Facebooking, no doubt, while we answer the game questions. And then after we're done with the game questions, we'll get to the personal questions, where I imagine Jen will get a bit more animated, but we'll see if you have any uh, questions that might work for her as we go. But we're going to start out with Massimo. Oh, hey, Honey Pie, you're in luck. Uh, this one specifically came in before, and uh, it was in the game section, and they had asked for Jen, and uh, you didn't, you weren't in that last one, as I recall. Yeah, The last time you were on, you only did personal questions. And uh, it was such a good question, I said, ask me again. And so uh, Massimo is asking again, on behalf of Bear, who I think asked originally, Honey, Yes. Why do you think board games are fun? Is it the exercising of the brain? Is it completing a pattern? Is it solving a problem within the boundaries of rules? Why is any of that fun at all? Is it play pretending for adults? Why is moving small parts on a board fun? Why is it fun? Golly, what a great question. All right. Um, well, first of all, you didn't say anything about the social interaction. Uh, that's because Bear and Massimo did not mention the social interaction. Well, that was my first response before he started listening off all the other stuff. Oh, okay. It's fun because you get to be with somebody that, in theory, you like, maybe even love. In theory. And, and you get to spend time with them doing something that you guys are both invested in. So I would say, number one, that is the reason. But what about the argument some would make that, yeah, but is it really quality time because we're just both sitting there staring at a board, you know, silently lost in thought? I think it is because we are sharing an experience. Okay. Even if you're doing your thing and I am doing my thing, we are still sharing the experience. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my gun on that. Yep. Okay. Um, yeah. And, you know, especially for people that have been married sort of 30 years like, you know, some people in this room. Yes. Not quite 30, but we're coming up. Yep. Um, yeah, we've already talked about a lot of stuff over 30 years. <laughs> and it's nice to have something new and, you know, to talk about, I think, and to share with each other. Because we don't have kids, so we don't have all of that, which binds us. Um, and chickens and dogs, well, you can only talk about them for so long each day. So, yeah, I'm really glad that we have this to share. All right. So... You're saying then you would not find board games fun if it weren't for me? No, I think I still would. I mean, I used to play Pac-Man before I met you. And those are video games. Okay, I used to play Sorry and Monopoly and all that as a kid. But those were with love, loving family and friends. Would you find it fun to play a board game with complete strangers? Well, let's think about, did I find it fun to play... Um, Magic the Gathering, when we were doing those little competitions and stuff. The tournaments, yes. Uh, Jen and I, back in the day, both used to compete in um, sealed deck tournaments quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, local ones. Nothing, you know, national or anything. No, no, no. no we, <laughs> we, did, we, we, were, we were Bush League. <laughs> um, so there you go, yes. So yes, yes, I would say I did still have a good time. Okay, then back to the original question. What was fun about that, since you were playing with some complete... So that would Stranger. have been more of an intellectual exercise, I think. All right. So there was a, you know, buttons being pushed with winning, probably, and 
you know, getting lucky and having a combo that would work and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's probably some of that pattern recognition stuff he was saying. And um, you'll have to read me the rest of the question again because it was a long time ago and it was a lot of stuff. (laughs) Um, What makes it fun? Exercising the brain, completing patterns, solving problems within rule sets. Let's do do you want me to address right. them one Honey, at a time? Is it exercising your brain? Is that what makes it fun? I would say yes, because actually I would go online. In fact, I was a member of Luminosity for a while, which was brain games. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I did that for a couple of years, and I did that for fun, and also to exercise my brain. So does that mean it's fun if you have to do similar real world tasks of I don't know balancing your checkbook or something? Mm. Why is it fun in one case, but it's not fun in another case? Yeah. Well, actually, um, I do a lot of stuff with Quicken, and that used to be really fun for me. Oh, really? Tracking where stuff was, how much our, you know, we were spending on this or that, categorizing stuff, seeing graphs and all of that. Um, I think that was more when we were in our saving and um, accumulating and trying to figure out when we could retire. Oh, back when yeah. I made all the money. When you made all the money. Yes, lots and lots. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I think, but that was part of a longer-term life plan um, game as well, if mm-hmm. you will. So, yes, I would say that there's, yeah, some of the real-life stuff is also fun slash entertaining slash... All right. So exercising the brain is implicitly fun. Yes. Not fun because of the confines of the game structure. You enjoy exercising your brain. Yes, I do. All righty. Um yeah, and his other uh, suggestions were completing patterns and solving problems within boundaries of rule sets. Yeah, I think so. All right. But why is that fun? Because it's always nice to have restrictions. And mm-hmm. then if you can figure out how to make them work for you, kind of gaming the system, I suppose, there's a bit of a high there. Why is moving small parts on a board fun? I'm not sure that that is necessarily fun. Ah, the tactile element is not pulling you back? Actually, now that I think about it... You'd be just as happy playing all these on a computer screen? No. I think actually, after I said that, and I started thinking about the graphics of a game. And mm-hmm. um, graphics, or the prettiness of it, or whatever, means a lot to me. Mm-hmm. So actually, I'm going to rescind that statement, now that I had a, a chance to think a little bit more about it. I think actually, the interaction with the pieces is part of the fun. Okay. Yeah. And actually, my favorite games are those kinds that have gadgets where you... There's some, you know, dice something in the board or, moves. Yeah. yeah. So I'm gonna have to say yes. All right. Back to that. So, all of them yeah. are why it's fun. Yeah. Plus interaction with people you like or love. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. What did you say? Oh, I think I said that's a really good question. Um, I want to hear what Jen says. <laughs> I, I agree with all that. Uh, the tactile nature there, you know, there is a reason. That even though electronic chess boards have existed since the 70s, people still go out and buy real chess boards. Um, people are hardwired to want to touch and feel things. Uh, there's that line in Star Trek First Contact when Data was asking Picard, when Picard reached out to touch the rocket, you know, that was like the first warp engine kind of a thing. And mm. I've often noticed, Captain, uh, <laughs> the uh, or whatever he said, and, and Picard actually was at a loss for words. He couldn't quite explain why humans uh, want to reach out and touch. You know, it, 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 it binds us, it connects us to things on kind of a spiritual, instinctual level. But Well, they say, you know, once you pick something up, you're much more likely to buy it. Ah, yes. Or, you know, if you've got a puppy and you get to, you know, take it home for a day, mm-hmm. you're quite likely to keep it. Yep. I mean, they even do that with cars now. Test drive a car for a day or two or a week. 
Oh, really? And then, yeah, you probably are not going to return it. Because you're connected to it. Yeah. So, I mean, it's that same human impulse that's uh, working on a very microcosm scale when you pick up wooden cubes or what have you. And, uh, yeah, uh, it is. I, I, it is fundamentally, I think it is fun to do something that makes you feel good about yourself. Is um, And solving a problem within confines uh, makes you feel smart and clever. And that gives you a dopamine hit. And so you want to do it again. It's just brain psychology, really. When it boils right down to it, I think. Brain psychology. Yep. Um, I don't know if I needed to put in the brain. I could have just said psychology. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's <laughs> brain stuff. All right. Moving right along. Um, Nathan. Nathan would just like to say, for the record, he has never heard me say Rosenberg shackles. Um, apparently that came up in a recent thing. Somebody, I seem to recall somebody asked, I, I, have you heard me say the words Rosenberg shackles before, honey? I don't think so. Why then I, well, it, it's something I say a lot it, because people um, often ask, well, why do you like uh, Agricola over Caverna? And I say, because Rosenberg isn't giving us the Rosenberg shackles where, you know, in, in, um, in Agricola, you have to work really, really hard. To achieve everything you need to achieve and not suffer consequences. Yeah. Those are shackles that he puts you in, in his design. And in his more recent designs, he's like, Dad, do whatever you want. There's really no downside. Okay, yeah. yeah you just you go ahead, have fun. Just explore. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm, I need the shackles. <laughs> Class flow shackles on me. Perhaps so, I didn't uh, quite get your reference of shackles. But yes. Okay, yes, okay, yes. So you're saying you have heard me use the term Rosenberg shackles before? Actually, I don't think I have. Yeah, because that that would mean then that I don't imagine I've I've said it on the podcast unless it was the first dozen or so before Jen. Or have you always been on this? I don't know. I think you, I, I think for the first year you weren't doing it. I think you came in on the second year. Um, so that means I've probably said it in um, run-throughs, in final thoughts, final thoughts yeah. for Caverna or, oh, I can't think of the one that's only a two-player game. Um, I'm sure I mentioned it in one of them, but Nathan says, no, I haven't. So who are you going to believe, folks, me or Nathan? Somebody needs to go back and find the timestamp. Yes. Um, if only I could do an auto search of all the automated subtitles of all videos, but YouTube does not offer that functionality. That'd be really handy if they did, actually. Okay, moving on to Daniel wonders a bit about bang for buck. Apparently that came up in last month's podcast questions. Uh, I don't even remember this at all anymore. Uh, all right. So for Daniel, who has a low income compared to y'all rich folk, mm-hmm. um, a, a true bang for the buck is replayability. I don't need games that... Or yes, I would agree. Uh, I don't need games that I would play... I, I need games that I'd play at least 30 times to make the purchase worth it. That's reasonable. Having said that, no reviewer can give me a true advice on the replay. Oh, this is... Yeah, because... There was talk about me talking about why I don't talk about monetary value of games. Mm. I don't know if you were you here for that. I think I was. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's responding to that where I said, yeah, it just doesn't make sense for me to actually try and review based on the cost of a game because of a bajillion different factors. Least of all is I got the game for free. So how can I judge its monetary value in the first place? I'm implicitly biased. Uh, my opinion is out of touch with reality, with the reality that um, Daniel will elaborate on. Right, so 30-plus games. Um, having said that, no reviewer can give true advice about the replayability of a certain game because we don't have time to play it 30 times to say it's worth playing that much. Uh, we could guess, but since uh, all reviewers basically have less experience playing games that many times than me, Daniel, uh, it would have to be a guess. So in essence, I was right. 
uh, even for a completely different reason. Actually, I, I completely agree with that reason. That, to me, is uh, crucial as well. Yes, you're right. I can take an educated guess. Having played many games 30-plus times, because before I started doing this, yeah, I, we were in your boat. The we reason The reason I started doing this show, Daniel, is because I was in your boat, that I stopped making... You were um, in Daniel's boat? I was in Daniel's boat. Wow. Don't, don't tell Daniel. <laughs> He's, he, he really values that boat um you know i started out doing this because i stopped working full-time in the video game industry i stopped making my crazy six-figure salaries and i couldn't afford to pay five to ten grand a year on new board games like i wanted to and so i still wanted to get the board games and i thought well you know maybe if i start doing this rod or run through thing maybe they'll send me games like they do with tom vassal little did i know almost a decade later well things have certainly gone in a certain direction but yeah um, there was a time, there was a window, um, where when we first started out, we didn't have many games. I mean, we've played Agricola probably more than 50 times, I would say, easily. Because remember, there was a time when we literally played it at least twice a week for yeah. like uh, over a year. I would say even more than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and, and you know, and, and at that time, there were games we played a ton, and there were games we were like, well, I don't think we're going to stick with this. So, I have experience, prior experience with the notion of what does a game feel like what, what does a game need to offer to bring us back over and over and over and over and over again? Because there were many games that we did have, and there were many games that we didn't in my early days just trying to figure stuff out. And so even though now we are, it's rare that we play a game more than you know two or three times before we have to move on, I can still recognize those elements. Well, that said... How about Gloomhaven? Gloomhaven is the Gloomhaven and Legacy games are really the only games we play with yeah. any kind of frequency. And then it's uh, um, Charter House. Charter Charterstone, Stone. another Legacy game. Yeah. Okay, and we just finished Clank. Yep, yep. Am I allowed to say that yet? Yes, uh, yes, I have put the video up. Okay. So we played that about a dozen times. But yeah, so it's a rare ex- exception to the rule that we will go back and play a game. Um, but I do have, even, and you're right, that, Jen, Jen's point is, I even now have experience playing, maybe not 30 plus times, yeah. the last game we have played 30 plus times would be Gloomhaven. Because I know I figured it out, I talked about it in some previous podcasts, we played Gloomhaven I'm going to say Pandemic and all of its very iterations. We've played at least 30 times. Oh, well, we've played Pandemic easily over 100 times. Yeah. I, would, I don't know. So anyway, so my point is, that even if we aren't doing that now, we have done that in the past. And so I can recognize elements that made those games have that staying power. And I can look for similar elements in a game that I only play two or three times. That said, I wouldn't blame you at all for not trusting me in my... Um, prognostication as to the replayability of a game. I would defer to you, Daniel, talking about your games over me. You have more experience than me. Uh, Daniel continues, as for the value of my videos, uh, he would give me a silver medal. Gold goes to the games like John Gitt's games who do full playthroughs. And that's fair. You know what? I, I completely agree. I should do full playthroughs. I'm Certainly over the years, people have requested it. That was never my intention. My intention was... My intention was originally, hey, let's just... I mean, if you go back and watch the first one I ever did for Helvetia, I think that thing was less than 20 minutes long. And um, over the years, I have gotten progressively more and more verbose. Uh, um, much maybe to the detriment of the show, or a lot of people would say. But uh, my intention was always just to give just a quick little snippet. Hey, here's what it feels like. A couple of turns gives you an idea of what it feels like to play. Um, you know, and, and, and that's all you're going to get from me. But... Uh, 
uh, yeah, I have occasionally from time to time played all the way through. And here's the thing. The longer I play a game, the more likely I am to literally melt down. Um, <laughs> Apollo will 100% confirm this. The longer I go in a game, the my um, goof to correct rule ratio just skyrockets as I just go more and more into the deep end. Because the longer any game that Jen and I like lasts, the deeper and richer and more challenging it gets. Yeah. You know, in the first few rounds, oh, I just got a few things to juggle in my head for two players while trying to demonstrate two completely different strategies to give it the broadest view as I can. But as the game goes on, it just gets harder and harder and it just gets worse and worse. So I rarely play all the way through. Um, and I commend John um, you know, or Slicker Drips or folks who do actually play all the way through. I think that a strength of my show is because I do the way I do. That means I can put out more than one video a week. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, I probably, what, I'm probably five, six times the volume of content that John puts out in a given month. Now, to be fair, John is still working a part-time job, but, um, hey, even in my first year when I was still working a full-time job, I was putting out more content regularly because of my snippet approach. So I, I have to do it that way for my own sanity when it boils right down to it. Plus, again, I think Paulo would agree, the longer I go, the less useful it is, um, unless I was willing to say, nope, I'm just going to do one video a week, like, like uh, no pun included, or shut up and sit down, and I, you know, I will spend days on it, like John does. He will confirm. He spends days on these things, double, triple checking before he makes every move, doing camera cuts and all that stuff. And yeah, that means you would see maybe... 40 or 50 games a year from me. Instead, you see 200 games from me. I think that offers some level of value that John doesn't offer. But, you know, John, I mean, I, I totally get where you're coming from, that John doing full playthroughs, because, yeah, um, that's where half the game is. Uh, half of the game, half of the game's experience is in the last three moves, as a general rule, when everything comes to fruition in a really good game. And you're right, I'm not giving you that. I can't give you that, not without changing the DNA of the show to the point where I just wouldn't want to do it, quite frankly, because I know what John has to go through to make his videos. And oh my God, it is so tedious and awful. I'm at least still having fun while I'm playing. Um, is he not having fun while he's playing? I very much doubt it. I oh. very much doubt it oh. um, because he has considerations. Right. Um, oh, okay. And, and then you, 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 you know, Daniel digs a bit deeper. Actually, there's no question in here at all. Which is why he said some comments. So, okay, thanks for the comments, Daniel. Um, hopefully that was interesting back and forth. I don't know if you have anything to say about all that, Pie, because you don't actually watch the show. Well, I hear it sometimes when you're <laughs> recording it. Um, no, I mean, obviously you do things the way you do it for a reason, and mm-hmm. I respect that. All right. You hear that, Daniel? Respect me! <laughs> respect me! Give him a silver plus. <laughs> he did. Actually, he gave me a silver. That's respect. I'll take a silver. Right. That's cool. I'm, I'm down with silver. All righty. Um, better than, better than bronze. Okay. All of bronze. That's fantastic too. Um, (laughs) all righty. Moving right along. Danny, not Daniel says, uh, are there any games that are not for two players that we have played and enjoyed? Um, I know of one and we own it and that would be, I'm looking at Jen if she can remember it. Um, Dixit. I was going to say Dixit. Then why did you say it? Because I had to get my brain into... Game things? Yes. Ah, okay. Yes. Dixit is the only game we own in the... I don't know. We own between three and 400 games that does not work for two players. Um, And it's a real shame. 
Uh, I have seen some interesting variants. And actually, I mean, we have Mysterium, so we really don't need Dixit at all anymore. But Jen just will not allow it to go. Your eyes just got wide at the suggestion of it. Um, so there's Dixit, but really not many others. I, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of three-player minimum games out there. Um, like, oh, there's one that came out from the publisher-designer of Ragusa. I want to say Kalimala. Apparently that one's fantastic, but I'll never play it because it requires three players. And I don't mind. Uh, we have way too many games to play and cover as it is. Yeah. I am so thankful. Anytime a game comes out that says three-player minimum, I... Whew, dodged a bullet. Breathe a sigh of relief. That's one less thing I've got to worry about in the 200 or so games I'm going to try to cover this year. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it is a lifesaver that um, we have this self-imposed two-player limit. All righty. Although, was that even the question? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so the, the answer to your question, yeah, Dixon. Um, yeah, okay. Are there any games that aren't two-player that we really want to play? Like Twilight Imperium. Or uh, bucket list games? Uh, Probably, but I couldn't tell you what they are because as soon as I see a game requires three players, I immediately dismiss it from all further thought. My market is not interested, and I just totally forget about it. Anytime somebody's talking about some really hot game um, that I haven't heard of, I know that either means, okay, it hasn't come out yet, or it requires three players. And when they're talking, oh, this is really great. I'm like, how have I never heard of that? And they say, oh, it's three-player minimum. Oh, that's why. I completely forgot about it. So I'm sure there are plenty of them out there, and we don't know about them. We don't care about them. Ignorance is bliss. All righty. I may not want to relate the following on the podcast, but I'm going to do it, Danny. You say it, I'm going to do it. All right. We lost a bag at the UK Games Expo 2019. We left on a shuttle Friday at 6 p.m.-ish. It had nine games worth over 100 pounds. We've ch- contacted Lost and Found. Nothing was handed in. Um, could uh, I make an announcement about this on the podcast just on the one in a million chance? Hey, everybody. You went to UK Games Expo this year, and you have a friend who said, Oh, my God. I can't believe it. I found a bag. I got 100 pounds worth of games in this bag, and I don't know what to do with it. Um, contact me, because Danny would love to get his games back. And I'm sorry that happened to you, Danny. Yeah. Um, that sucks. But, um, you know what? There are plenty more games in the, in the sea. Plenty more fish in the shelves. Yeah, but he, he's bummed. I know. Just, yeah, that is a bummer. Yeah. I, I, uh, I know. Um, long shot, but fingers crossed for you, Danny. I hope they, I hope they find their way back home someday. Okay. Ben says, thanks for the wonderful content. Thank you for the, uh, for the kind words, Ben. All righty. First of all, generic question. Do I prefer to have questions sent in separate emails or all in one? Separate emails. Um, uh, actually, I'm fine with them all in one except for... Personal. Yes, it would be nice. Uh, often people will send, oh, here's like three or four personal, here's three or more game. And it's nice that they separate them, but then that just means I have to keep track of two different emails. In a perfect world, it'd be great to have personal emails completely separate, but it's not that big a deal. It's really pretty minor. The reality is I just have a filter for anything that goes to questions at rotto.com. And um, so they all just get dumped in, and then I just do a quick scan for ones that seem like they have personal questions in them, and then I just copy them over. Occasionally I miss some, so that's a good way to have your gaming, your personal questions missed if, if they're buried at the bottom of a bunch of gaming questions. Another reason to have them separated, but it's fine. Any, anything is fine. Uh, I'm not too put out. Now, on to Ben's gaming questions, because he did throw a whole bunch into one email. And he apologized up front in case we didn't like it. Um, Do I have any interest in Empires of the Void 2 by Ryan Lockett, or do I have similar feelings for it as for Scythe? 
Bingo! Not interest. Actually, that's not true. I'd love to try it. I mean, I'd love to love to try it because, man, that art looks beautiful, and I love Ryan's design sensibilities. But no, I. Hey, do you want to play a game where we try to conquer the galaxy and take conquer planets from each other? No. No. Sorry. Um, too bad. Uh, does the upcoming official release of Root? Um, automatic factions rekindle my interest in the game. Seeing as how this is the first time I've heard of it, I'm going to say no. Remember that game we played, Honey, with all the little forest critters, and um, yeah, and uh, you know, and it was the map, and they were trying, and they had like fundamentally different functions. I don't think we even finished. I think you quit halfway through because it was just so complex, and it was you know, like I think I was the birds, and I had to program my moves, and you were, oh, I can't remember who you played. You, oh no! You were the little you were the the little raccoon who you didn't have an army. You just moved around from place to place, and you had to make things, and then you could sell them. Mm. And I was the bird, and I had to program my moves. And do you remember that? Not at all. A little bit, yeah. Okay, but not tremendously. Well, um, apparently they're coming up with rules to. I mean, a problem with it was as a two player game, it was not very interesting. It's designed to be played with more players. Two player is meh at best. And uh, Ben is saying that they're coming out with new. Uh, rules so that all the roles could be automated so oh you could be the little raccoon i could be the birds and there's other ones so we can collude and work together and stuff i, I still no we we did our time with it it was neat i respected it immensely you know even i mean area control is not you know trying to take other people out we certainly don't want to do it to each other we have no desire to attack each other but we have no desire to attack things in general Attack and kill and conquer is not our favorite verb in gaming. <laughs> we would rather build yeah. um, or, or harvest or create. Those are the verbs we look for in games first and foremost. Not that we don't enjoy the occasional area control game, but it's, it's not it's not the top of our list of things to do. All righty. Um, in the previous podcast, I mentioned when playing Claustrophobia, I always have to play evil and I don't strive to win. Uh, do I, by chance, have any additional advice when playing head-to-head games in this way? My wife and I own War of the Ring because we're huge Tolkien fans, but we haven't played it. I'm hoping that by playing it how we play claustrophobia, we'll have an exciting narrative experience without feeling like meeting up on each other. That's exactly what it is. I mean, yeah, because, of course, claustrophobia is all about trying to crush and destroy each other. And, I mean, I think if I were really in it to win it and, like, oh, I must stop her at all costs. I must ruin her every move. I must, you know, make her miserable so that I can win at her expense. I mean, I could play it that way, but I don't. Um, and Jen, she does play it that way against me, but it's okay because I'm role-playing the forces of evil. So we both kind of want Jen to win under those circumstances. <laughs> we would both rather the demonic horde be pushed back where it, from whence it came and humanity gets a second chance. So it's, it, it, it doesn't have the same kind of... You know, she doesn't feel like she's messing up my plan. She feels like, well, I'm just kind of role-playing an evil thing, and we both kind of want evil to lose. So it just works well all that way. And as for the choices I make, I mean, yeah, of course. Well, I mean, the, the, I guess the main thing I look to do when this is happening is if I, I have to make very considered decisions about when to make big moves that can set her back. Um, because Jen is very sensitive about cooperative games I've talked about this many times. The that don't have the roller coaster effect, and pandemic is you know the perfect example of hey sometimes things are going great and sometimes things are going terrible, mm-hmm. and if things are always going terrible like 
like in Ghost Stories, which I talked about earlier, um, then Jen has, has no interest. She needs to have those shining beacons of light to keep going. If, if it just feels like it's going from bad to worse to awful, she just, she I don't know why. I don't know if you can articulate why you completely check out. Because it's no fun. I have no but fun. But everything we, from that previous question from Bear and Massimo about what makes a game fun, those elements haven't gone away. You're still trying to solve problems within the confines of rules. You're still trying to find patterns. You're still trying to do everything. I'm still hanging out with you. You're, yes, and in fact, you're still hanging out with me. So nothing has changed. And yet suddenly, I mean, you just, I, she so tunes out. Just instantly. It's tough getting Jen to play cooperative games because she just sits down at the table predisposed to say, I'm not going to like this because I don't know why. I don't, I just don't like to lose constantly, I guess. Well, welcome to my world. (laughs) Yeah, but you get to play with me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yeah. Um, So anyway, yeah. So Jen's very sensitive to that. And so if I've got a thing that I'm setting up over multiple turns and I can make a really big move... I have to do it in such a way that it feels it, it doesn't feel demoralizing to her. It um, you know it, it it doesn't like it, it isn't adding insult to injury. That's really what it, you know. If she just had a bad turn because some rolls didn't go her way, that's the perfect time for me to write. Okay, double down, drown her in demons right now. Okay, maybe now is not the best time to drown her in demons. Maybe instead I should go on ahead and play that thing that does a far away woo sound and you know and so it's like oh something else, but I, I can still c- recover from this. So, yeah, that's what I do. Well, maybe and I lose invariably. I 100% lose 100% of the time. Yes, honey pie? I'm just saying that maybe that's why you lose. It's you're, it is true. Sure it, this does not happen only in head-to-head games, the few head-to-head games we play. This happens in regular competitive games. There have been many, many times that um, I can see Jen is just really having a bad time of it. And I'm like, okay, well, I should just sweep in and grab these things because I can guaranteed win. Guaranteed. And I just won't do it. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, it's, it's, I know it's completely at odds to what I always talk about, um, why we don't like attacking games because we always want to play at full efficiency, um, to our best of our abilities. And we resent games that put us in situations, you know, sometimes some of our favorite games put us in that situation. I mean, I would never, ever, ever in a million years, and Jen knows this, uh, in Agricola say, oh, that's a lot of sheep. I think even though I don't have any place to store them, I'll just go ahead and take those sheep and set them free. Because I know she's got some big sheep engine, and she was just waiting for one more turn <laughs> so she could get one more. I would never do that in a million years, and Jen knows that. Yeah. But what I will do is, um, you know, we're you halfway say, through a round, and okay, she, she's, she's not going to take those, is she? She's not going to. Yeah. <laughs> How many times have I said, honey? You better take those sheep. If you don't take those sheep, you're going to make me do it. Don't make me do this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that kind of just, I don't know, do you do that? Yes, of okay. course I do. Okay. Not probably as much as you do. <laughs> but there's been times where I thought, oh, I could do this or I could do that. And they're equally good for me, so I'm not going to be the one that hoses you. It's interesting. That is true. Sometimes that will happen. Or sometimes I'm in a really bad way, and I'm being a sour grapes, sourpuss about it. And I'm really terrible about that. That's, pro- that's easily my worst behavior in playing games with Jen, is that I will not sit quietly while my entire world is crumbling around me. Uh, I will make it very clear that, oh my gee Louise, although not that friendly, um, I can be a bit salty. Um, and, and I know it ruins Jen's game and I try to keep it to myself, but uh, when, that, when that happens, Jen will, well, I guess I don't have to do this. And the weird thing is she'll verbalize and I'll say, no, do that. I don't want your pity. I don't want your charity because I don't. 
that would actually make it worse. The worst thing would be, okay, things are going terrible. Jen decides to take it easy on me. And then somehow I eke out a win. That would be worse than losing to me. And she literally just rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> I don't want to lose, but I don't want to win. Uh-huh. Yep. I know. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm consistent. I mean, human beings don't have to be consistent at all times. That's a common misconception on the internet. Ha ha! I caught you being inconsistent, which is another way of saying, ha ha, I caught you being human. Um, but anyway, yeah. You didn't get the I'm not a robot thing? I'm, I am, in fact, not a robot. I uh, cannot spot all of the stop signs in this um, mosaic or whatever you know the robot test is. Um, yeah, so I'm sorry. That's been long and winding. Suffice to say... That's almost a personal question. Uh, yeah, but it is game-related. Um, so, I mean, that, in, in these competitive head-to-head games where I play the villain, I, I think we both know it going in. I, I don't think that's a secret to Jen. That you, do you, Did you know that whenever we play a game like that where I play the hordes of evil that I'm actively trying, trying to not to win? Mm, I don't think so. Ah, well... It's all ruined now. It's all falling apart, and now she's going to demand that I not take it easy on her, whereupon she will not enjoy it anymore. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if this really answers your question, but I can just tell you that's that's how I go about it. Um, I, I look for moments that would enhance the, dr- the drama of the situation without demoralizing her. And that's when I make cool big moments. Because uh, it's more fun for both of us. Because I don't think of myself as a competitor. I think of myself as a dungeon master playing that game. I know it's designed that both players are supposed to compete, but that's not how I play it. And um, we both have a good time doing that. And what's worse is when I do it in regular games too. Um, because it, it, it hurts me if she's doing really poorly. And so I will, okay, well, I could grab that thing now, but I'm not going to because I know she really, really needs it. And so what she just said, and I could probably just as easily do this other thing, and it will come out the same. It will do just as well for me. So I have A and B. A or B is just as useful for me, but B would be better because it would cr- destroy her, and I won't take B, even though I should. Um, but, as I said, I will go out of my way to try and tell her three rounds prior, honey, please. Don't put me in this situation. Don't leave those things there. <laughs> I don't want to set the sheep free. <laughs> yes. Yes. All righty. Um, is there any likelihood of doing a rundown, run through of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell? Um, because he's a fan of the books and the TV series. Actually, no, there's not. Um, I rarely talk about that. I, I often talk about how I read probably 20 or so rule books a week and I say no to nine out of every ten of them uh Strange and Norrell was one I definitely said no to I read that rule book many many times trying to find something engaging about the design and I could see nothing in there that pulled me in and I I had to tell them no uh, I have no idea. I haven't looked into it since. I, I, I think it's out now, so probably, probably reviewed it. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should go back and look, but I have no draw to the subject matter. I've not read the novels or seen the show, although I know they're very good. Um, so yeah, sorry, it's probably not going to happen because, man, that rule book was a total buzzkill. All righty. And do I feel the handling of theme in Santa Maria actually makes the game more enjoyable to play? Oops, wake up, computer. Mention the acknowledgement of the realities of what gets under uh, your skin. Would it kill the fun? Okay, so the question is basically, I have praised games in the past that don't shy away from the darker elements of what they're emulating, uh, but instead, you know, draw attention to them. And Santa Maria is an interesting example. Honey, um, do you remember Santa Maria? 
Santa Maria is the game where you're building a grid of stuff and there's white dice and blue dice. And when you take a die, you put it on the side and you activate all the tiles on that row or column. Yes. And you're trying to put the tiles so that you can make them activate in chains because they have to do it in an order. And it's a really, really, really good game because yes. we're trying to grab the dice quick to activate the lines and rows and columns we want. Yeah, and wasn't there like four huts? Yes, yes. Okay, okay so you remember that game. Yeah. Um, now... That game is about the uh, Spanish conquistadors and the subjugation of South America. And uh, the game does nothing to actually get across the idea of just what horrific inhumanity we are engaged in. And in fact, the victory points in that game are little smiley faces. Uh, the more smiley faces you get, the closer you are to winning because you have increased the glory of Spain or Portugal or whatever country we're, I think it was Spain. Um, and so a lot of people looked at Santa Maria as just like this really atrocious, tone-deaf, terrible, terrible thing, glorifying the, um, you know, the, 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 the atrocities that were visited upon the native people of North and South America, really, when it boils right down to it. And I always said that I kind of respected the game because in the back of the rule book, they have one half a page devoted to, well, just so you know, this was really terrible. And the, the, the stuff you are engaging in in this game, working your way up the smiley face track, is representative of truly in, or horrific, horrific things. And um, so we just want you to know that. <laughs> And that's pretty much all. And I think I think maybe they had. And by the way, here's some reading material if you want. Or no, that's I think that was Mombasa that did that. I think they should always give more reading material for people who are interested. So a lot of people said that was incredibly tone deaf and it was making light of it. But I don't think that was the artistic intent of that game. The artistic intent of that game was to actually show. Look, I mean, you had the experience that the designer intended. I'm just, I'm not really thinking about what's going on here. I'm just trying to make my meters fill up and get my shekels or. No, not shekels, of course. Um, get, get my gold and uh, and score my victory points and all of that. And so I don't know if I ever said, oh, by the way, here's all the terrible stuff you're doing. Would you, if we were to now play Santa Maria again, if I gave, hey, by the way, here's here's some background information so you can know more about the history of it. Do you think that would harm your enjoyment of the game? Mm. See, before we answer that, I thought it was a brilliant thing they did because what they're trying to do is put you in a state of mind where, oh, this is just fun. This is satisfying. This tickles all of my brain in the right ways based on the previous question. Um, and you're not supposed to think about it. But then you're supposed to, oh, there's some really dark stuff going on here. And, um, and it is supposed to put you more uh, effectively in the footsteps of people who can um, commit these atrocities. Because when you look at the world from only one perspective, of course everything's fine. Um, yo, I'm just a noble back in Spain. It's really great that they're sending all this gold back. This is fantastic. Smiley faces for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so the the game tries to pull the rug out from underneath you and saying, well, you know, those smiley faces, that's blood. You know, that's human suffering is what it is. So, um, not that we're going to get to play, go back and play Santa Maria again. Although we own it still? Yeah, we do. Um, what would you anticipate knowing that now? What, what do you think your uh, impact of the game is? Uh, your impact on the enjoyment. Could you still have as much fun puzzling out how to get the right dice and the right tiles in the right place at the right time. Oh, now it becomes a guilty pleasure. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That that would probably impact my enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I guess you think, well, that happened two or three hundred years ago, so you know, there's nothing we can do about it right now. But I'm sure somewhere in the world that's well, I mean, actually going on. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, the, the people of those regions are still dealing with the aftermath of, of those atrocities as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, you know, and so... So is it better to play and get a feel and an understanding, or is it... 
I guess ignorance. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Yeah. There is no way you would have sat down and played Santa Maria if the Conquistador track was actually represented as, oh, by the way, here's all the native indigenous people we slaughter. That's true. You just wouldn't play it, period. It would you know, be, I mean, so the game would have failed in any way, shape, or form to pull you in and make you aware of the broader scope of, of the human experience. It, at least by giving you some colorful candy uh, in the form of smiley faces and a fun puzzle to solve, could draw you in. And, I mean, I suspect a large percentage of people who play Santa Maria will never be exposed to what Jen was just exposed to. I mean, um, you know, because they, they don't want to know. Or, you know, ignorance is bliss. and Or, or they just never read that last page because they had the game taught to them at a convention. And so, well, I'm not going to read the thematic background story. I'm, I'm just here to play the game. But I suspect some percentage of players will. And some percentage of those players will have their worldview shifted. And I think that is an amazing and um, a laudable goal that the designer consciously set out to do with the way he presented that information. And um, I can say for myself, considering that that is my perspective, I it gives me more of an appreciation of the game. And an appreciation of the game increases my enjoyment of a game. And my appreciation of the artistry and the, ar- the authorial intent behind the stuff makes me enjoy it more. But that's why I asked Jen, because I don't know I don't know if she would have the same response. Um I don't know, I guess is that. I I'll just rely on you to tell me if I need to know. Okay. How about that? Alrighty. Well, um that was uh right, so Ben ended with um he, as he by his own admission, a slight rant. Um right. I don't know. I don't know how someone looking to play the game wouldn't know these things. Am I a bad person for wanting to play San Juan? Um, do the happiness tokens that look like suns from the 1930s Raisin Bran commercial creep me out? Uh, again, that's how they're represented. They, they, they literally, actually, it's true. I never thought about that. They do kind of have that uh, California Raisins commercial <laughs> look to them. Yeah. Um, no, they don't. But again, that's because I think, I, I, I believe that that is what um, the designer was intending. In part, I believe that because he has talked about this on Board Game Geek at length. Because he did not shy away from the controversy, there are dozens and dozens of posts from him um, articulating these ideas. And uh, But people still just vehemently refuse to accept that he had artistic intent. Uh, and he was anything other than just a cruel and callous European who um, just falls back on the trope of, hey, it's great to subjugate foreign cultures because uh, we're European. And I don't think that was fair uh, to him as an artist. So, yeah. Anyway, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. But moving right along. Chester, you got a tough act to follow after that. Let's see how heavy Chester gets. How often do we, if ever, or do I, if ever, make a big flub um, or something unexpected goes wrong, so much so that having Paulo correct the goof in the Klingon is not going to save it and I start the whole game over again? Mm. I would say that probably... You should ask Paulo because often... Well, no, you can't. Often, I'll have mixed feelings about it, and I'll give it to Paulo, and I'll ask him, "What do you think?" And he will—he'll make the final determiner of that. And um, but often it just goes so bad, Paulo will never even see it. Yeah. I'll just never even upload it in the first place. I would say that probably happens one out of every five games I film. Maybe you just refilm. That I just I uh, get to the end and like, oh my god, that was so terrible. I'm doing it again. Or I, I mean, often I'll get like 20, 30 minutes in. To something that's easily going to take an hour, and I, okay, I'm stopping now. 
And I will uh, let cry the worst expletives you can imagine. <laughs> uh, they can be heard ringing throughout the neighborhood. I will not repeat them now because this is trying to be a family show. But, oh, man. Um, you know, you know they'll, you'll cut to the to the tree and all the birds immediately fly out uh, as, uh, as my cries of pain and anguish are heard throughout the neighborhood. Yeah, that happens a lot. Uh, so much so that I often wonder why do I so rigidly adhere to my, I've got to do it in one take because I don't have to do it in one take anymore. I, now that I'm not recording onto a camera, I'm holding my hand. I mean, I could film like I could film like John and, um, you know, and really cut down on my goofs. But, uh, but again, it would rob a lot of, I mean, there is, when I'm trying to present these games, even if it's a game I don't particularly enjoy, I'm trying to present it with joy to let the game get its best opportunity to get across what makes it special. And um, for me to become mechanical and pre-scripted uh, would just rob the juice in the life. So it's just, it's just a, it's it's just the cost of doing business the way I do business. I think that I think I, I think I'm the only person doing videos, at least that I know of, that films this way. Actually, I'm sure there are others who uh, copy, but you know, like John doesn't, Tom doesn't, or Slicker Drips doesn't. I mean, they 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 make their cuts, they they save their sanity, they have much better, more polished videos as a result. Um, but I, I don't think they have the same drive and passion and life as my videos do. And that means I have to throw away 20% of all my content and it's painful. Oh man, it's painful. Um, what games have I played all the way through that I hated the most? Can you think of any game you played all the way through that you hated the most, honey? I can't imagine that has ever happened. If we really hate a game, we will just stop. Yeah. No, I can't Sometimes you will say, no, 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 we'll just see it through. You need to do it to film. And I'm like, no, honey, you don't. Yeah. You don't. I don't want you to, I don't want this to ruin the rest of your day. There was one recently. Remember that, that about two weeks ago? Yeah. And I wasn't having a good time. Yeah. What was that? Let's see. I probably talked about it in the roundup. Let me look at my August roundup. August. Uh, keyboard. A-U-G. August. Rado. Roundup. Let's see here. Ba, 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 ba. Here we go. Show me the list of games in the August 2019 roundup. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, Abomination. Okay, apparently it was Abomination. It was the game about stealing body parts. Oh, right, <laughs> yes. And the one good thing you can do in the game, the two there were two good things you could do in the game. You could rescue stray dogs, and you could go to church... Whereupon every move you could make was trying to destroy me, because it was humane of you to try and stop my inhumanity. Right. Um, yeah. So we stopped. Um, you know, and you were like, "No, we'll keep going." Well, I guess. I'm just gonna keep working on my reputation. Yeah. Um, and I, I just stopped. There's just there's just no reason we were gonna keep doing that one. Was there another one? Was there another? Uh oh, the same thing happened for me with Letter Jam. Remember that oh, was yes. the really. I mean. I, and I, I practically melted down completely. It's not the fault of the game at all. I mean, you remember that game, right? It yes. was really clever. Yes. And you really wanted to keep going because I, I think you were really digging good. it. Yeah. And you're like, no, honey, you're not as stupid as you think you are. <laughs> yes, I know you've done nothing but absolutely idiotic, stupid things so far, but you'll get better. <laughs> like, no, we're done with that. Um, so that happens from time to time. Um, I don't, was that even the question? Alrighty. Uh, but for me, the one the game I played all the way through, I did play all the way through a game of um, 
Game of Thrones, you know, the big epic three or four hour game full of deceit and backstabbing and all that. I played all the way through that. It was one of the worst game experiences of my life. And yeah, I wouldn't do that now. Um, but at the time, I was younger. And all uh, right. What? Oh, no, that's a personal question. What um, and how long was the single longest game session we have played of a single game? And did we enjoy that? How long was the single longest session we played of a game? It's, I'm sure it's going to be some game of... Gloomhaven? Yeah, I was just going to say Gloomhaven. Because uh, Gloomhaven usually takes us two or three hours to play all the way through. Yeah. That includes the aftermath of, right, okay, what did we get? Yeah, you know, we what are we going to do? And, you know, stuff like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's sometimes when we play games and we go, that one was too long. Mm-hmm. That could have been an hour shorter and that would have been much better. Yep. But, I mean, that's pretty rare. We don't generally tend to play the games that are three plus hours. Uh, yeah, but I'm probably going to say Gloomhaven. Um, at the present time, I'm answering this question. What game, either one that I've already played or not played or maybe isn't even available, is the one I'm most looking forward to playing or playing again? Honey. No idea. The first game that comes to your mind. If you could play one game, what would you want to play right now? What would you most look forward to playing right now if you could play any game? Oh, the next version of Pandemic. Uh, Pandemic. Uh, that's a good one. So, um, above any other game in the universe, nothing compares to Pandemic Legacy Season 3. Yes. All right. That's a good answer. I might very well have answered that myself. I mean, because it's interesting. I mean, if you'd asked me a month ago, I would have said Tapestry or Black Angel. But we've played both of those now. Remember Black Angel was the one about the ship going to the planet Spess. And you had the little robots you put in the little baby ships. And, yep. Yep. Um, so, I haven't gotten those out of the way. I know that, let's see, there's another Alexander Fister game coming. Maracaibo, Maracaibo, uh, but I don't think I'm burning for that quite. Like uh, so, yeah, I'm going to agree. I'm going to say Pandemic Legacy Season Three, whenever that will eventually happen. Alrighty, okay, thanks, Chester. Moving right along to Alex. Uh, in the past, he's heard me say we never get to play old games, and I've also apparently said at some point or other the best games have not been designed yet. Well, sounds like something I'd say. Do I believe um, that these two things being true? Would I ever consider getting rid of all the games that I keep in my collection? No. I, I just like having the games. I, I, even if I don't get to play them, I like having them. Uh, you know, people collect stuff. People people like having collections. Uh, you know, it's just like a very small hoarder um, pathology, right? It's mm-hmm. I, I like having games. I like I like coming in the room and just seeing them. Yeah, it's it makes me cool. yeah. You know, in the same way. People used to have gigantic bookshelves full of books that they'd only read a small percentage of. Um, but yeah, you just like to have things. And you know, I like these things. I like having them. They're bright and colorful. They make me happy. I, I like knowing that I could play them. I can't, but I could. But I won't. <laughs> Someday you will. But I could. Yeah. Uh, but I could if I wanted to. So we just had somebody over and I brought her into this room and she's like, oh my God, that's a lot of games. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, CJ. Uh-huh. Yeah. I did not see that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure it made no sense to her. Probably her brain exploded. What What am I looking at? Yep. Well, and you've got, he's got more games piled on top of the game shelves now, so it's, it's yeah, those are ones. impressive. Those are ones to go. Yep. All righty. So, no, I, I have never, I mean, when we came here, we got rid of, I think, somewhere between 1 and 200. Uh, games I got rid of for the before the move. Oh, in yeah. Malta. I think it was two hundred. Yeah, it's something. That like one that. guy took a hundred or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember? Yep. The yeah. guy with the game store. Yep. The guy who, yeah, there was a guy in Malta who was opening a game store, so I sold him just tons of stuff at like 
you know, three bucks a box and stuff like that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but no, I don't want to get rid of them. Uh, even if I don't get to play them, I just like having them. Uh, years ago, I had a gigantic collection of, what was it, six or 700 laser discs? Yep. And, um, you know, there were many of them I didn't watch. I, I only got them because there was a, uh, uh, the video store in Bend, Oregon said, okay, the DVDs are here. We're done with lasers. We're getting rid of all of them. And I'm like, well, I'll give you a couple hundred bucks for all of them. And they're like, okay, better than throwing them away. So that's how I got a big old collection of 600 laser discs, the vast majority of which we never watched. But I liked having them. It was just cool. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That is not a pathology. All righty. Um, Natalie says, uh, how's my solo month going? This is from a while ago. This is two months worth of questions. Well. Has it reignited my love for solo gaming? Um... What I'll say is, it has reignited my appreciation for how much easier solo gaming makes my life. Hmm. <laughs> I think Jen just figured out what I meant by that. Yeah. Because my whole life revolves around when Jen will come down from her ivory tower, ivory of her glass tower, and uh, actually deign to play a game with me so I can do my job. And uh, you know, I'm always trying to schedule everything around her. We've tried many different systems over the years. None of them have ever stood the test. Other than just pretty much random, I grab her when I can and hope for the best. So, uh, yeah, uh, that month of playing nothing but solo, one, it makes it a lot easier to, to not have to wait for Jen. I mean, heck, that happened uh, just last month. There were a couple of games I talked about only because I played them solo and because I was never going to get Jen get him to the table. But also, filming solo makes life so much easier because then I only have to really worry about strategizing for one player. Um, so you notice, I think I'm going to be doing that more often. Wherever it's possible that the solo game still feels like a game with another player, it doesn't really like change the feel of the game, I'm probably going to be doing that a lot more in filming, just because it makes my life so much easier. Uh, Natalie is thinking about buying Carpe Diem, but after hearing me talk about the game, she wants to get the first edition. Good on you, Nat. Uh, how do I know what edition it is? Apparently, it's almost impossible to tell. If you, um, Z Garcia of the Dice Tower did an update where he talked about the differences and he did like a close up that there was some kind of, it's not a barcode, but it's some kind of number. Although other people commented that that wasn't reliable either, that there are different numbers, so you can't be sure. So I don't think there really is a way to tell, but, um, to your second question, if you can't find a first edition, can you make the changes? Yes, you can. Don't worry about it that much. Just buy whatever copy you get. If you get the first edition, hey, great. Um, if you get the second edition, you can tell because when you open the box, there's no crisscross lines in the middle of the board. Um, it, it, it might be painful for you, but just download the rules off of Board Game Geek. They're still available. And um, get out a Sharpie pen and recreate those lines and draw them across the board. And uh, you'll be fine. That's all you got to do. You just need the original rules and you need to be willing to deface your, your uh, cardboard. And you'll be great. Uh, I don't think most people are willing to do that, so they are SOL. But Natalie, just it, it's okay. If you, I, you know, I, the the more you play legacy games, the more laid back we get about saying, "Oh, okay, we'll just fix it. We'll just get out a sharpie. It's easy. It's fine." Mm-hmm. Lewis says he likes my rants about the industry, and uh, there's another subject he'd like to discuss: rules translation. Lewis is French, and he attests that rule books in French are useless. I uh, can tell that translators don't even know they're, they're, they're written like a novel. The general meaning is there, but key parts are so ambiguous as to be utterly useless in the context of the game. I can totally imagine that, yeah. Uh, because they, they just don't understand. No, you have to be very precise. You can't be vague about anything. Since I know 
I'll probably have to refer to the English version anyway. I tend not to bother reading in French anymore, which is a sad situation. I was just about to say, that's very sad. Uh, am I correct in assuming the games are mostly only play-tested in English or German rules? Have you experienced this yourself? I, 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 I'm sorry, Louis. I'm not the guy to ask. I do not have any insider information. Um, I've certainly seen plenty of uh, circumstances where... You know, in the English rules, there was some vagary, and then people had to go back and look at the original French or the German rules when it was originally published in those. And then, oh, it's crystal clear if you know how to parse this French sentence that the English translator didn't think it mattered. And so he just used and or, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, so that kind of stuff happens. It's not that common. I guess probably the biggest concern is English, as it should be, because that's where the vast majority of players um, are going to be able to read it. Uh, it's certainly a big problem with Asian games, I've noticed. Um, it's one of the reasons I generally tend not to want to play Asian games when it boils right down to it, because their rules are much, much, much more lackadaisical about the English translations than European ones are. Uh, which wasn't much of a discussion, but hey, that's something. Uh, mm-hmm. Daniel, I don't know if it's the same Daniel or a different Daniel, says he recently managed to pick up a copy of Escape, Curse of the Temple. Escape. After a few years of trying, it's apparently been out of print for quite a while. Hmm. Um, apparently, a few copies have finally been reprinted. I decided to just go for the base game. Can't wait to try it. But I was wondering if um, Jen and I, back when we were playing it a lot, do we usually play it with just the base game or do we include the spans- expansions like Illusion? Was the game better with or without the expansions in our opinion? Unfortunately, I would say we stopped playing it heavily before any of those expansions came out. Yeah. We have them all. We've played them all a couple of times, but I believe for every one of those expansion boxes, it was a case, oh, we got the expansion. Let's play a few times and I'll go film it, and then we've never played again. So I would say 95% of all of our escaping has been just <laughs> vanilla with the uh, with the curses, because you got to play with the curses. The worst thing was, this is back when we were in Malta, and there was a brief time where we were like, hey, how, let's have people over and play games and stuff. And Escape, Jen always wanted to play it with everybody, but every time we'd have to play it without the curses because it was too much to throw those purple tiles in right from the get-go. So we were always really frustrated that we were never getting to play the full game. Um, but yeah, I, I, you don't honestly, you don't need any of those expansions. The game is so great as it is. But they're all really cool. But I think, even still, I would play without them. If I quit Rado tomorrow and we were going to, hey, we're just going to go start playing, I would want to play some more Escape without because you appreciate what they add if you've played without them first. If you just... Uh, I, I think they maybe are a bit overloading. Because that game really does put you through the ringer. Alrighty. I remember in a video at the time, Jen saying she preferred Escape to Agricola. To which I said, that's crazy talk. Quote, end quote. That sounds like something I would say. I was just wondering, does Jen still prefer it as of um, August 2019? What's better, honey? If you could only own one, would you own Agricola or Escape? I'm going to say Agricola. So I was crazy talk all along. Jen was just enamored. It was puppy love. <laughs> um, and Agricola is truly the greater game. I agree. Okay. But you did not say that at the time. You I were, might have been in the... You were super, super cuckoo the for... Grip. Yeah, you, you were you were, uh, you were in deep. Appreciates this might be a tricky one to answer, but he's wondering, uh, what do I think of the chances are that a game will be released in the next five years that replaces Pandemic as our favorite game of all time? First of all, I don't, is, a, is Pandemic your favorite game of all time? I don't know if it is. It's mine. Let's say, actually, hold on a second. I let's remember what my top let's look. Was. Of course, I mean, that's so out of date now because it's over five years old. Um, let's see. A gen top 10. I bet, yep, yeah. Didn't even have to put in Rado. Let's open that up. 
and then look at the show notes and let's see. Honey Pie, five years ago. Wait, oh no, that's the that's the additional stuff. I need the part two. <laughs> Silly part one. Ah, which means I gotta come over here, find part two. Remember because you refused to Yes, I know. It was your, your top twenty seven or something like that. All right, down to the actual top ten. Five years ago, Honey Pie, you said your top your top five games were Amerigo at number five, Zolkin. Mm. Escape at number three, Agricola at number two. Well, so I... you had already made that decision. Okay. And then number one was Dungeon Pets. I do love Dungeon Pets. Do you love Dungeon Pets more than Agricola? I think it's a lot cuter. Like... I'm, I'm not saying it's not. Um, in fact, that's that's a statement of fact. In that fact, is a but if you could only own one, see, this is why this will never happen again. Because we literally spent oh. uh, like a weekend yes. of me just of me, honey. This is this game. I know you don't remember because we haven't played it for three years. Let's op- <laughs> let's put it out. Let's look at the pictures. And then she finally gets some recollection. And it, that would take like five or ten minutes. And now, honey, okay, do I th- do you throw this game or this game away? And it was just murder for her. Yep. It would be impossible now because the number of games she would have to evaluate has increased exponentially. Um, maybe not exponentially, but... We could probably just do it with just whatever's here. Mm-hmm. Are you... Are you no. Are you, no. Uh, but anyway, uh, honey. Yes. Um, all right, let's... let's, let's um, uh, uh, Amerigo or Zulk in the Mind Calendar? If you can only keep one. Oh, do I have to do this? <laughs> I, I'm just not in that headspace. All right. I'm not. I, your, your answer at long would, would be Zulkin. Um, yeah. You just answer for yeah. me. <laughs> um, yeah, so... So Jen can't answer that question, and I will answer. I think that would be, I would say that's almost guaranteed not to happen because it's not just pandemic. My, pandemic is my, if, if you were just talking about just pure pandemic, pure pandemic would not be my number one game of all time. But I rank pandemic, the system, as my number one game of all time. Because that includes uh, Legacy. That includes the the Roman one and the, the, uh, oh, the, Rising Tide in Iberia includes everything, and it also includes all of the nostalgia and the uh, personal gratitude I have to Matt Leacock for introducing us. I mean, because I wouldn't be here if if we had, hadn't chosen Pandemic, that fateful day at um, Blue Highway Games, and I had taken you Red November instead. Yeah, you did it. It was all you, man. Um, well, I bet he made the game. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's too much for any game to overcome. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, I I could certainly say there are definitely games that I would say are objectively superior designs, but I I don't think there could ever be one that is uh, better. I mean, um, man, I was getting I was playing some Pandemic. I didn't play with Jen. It was just some solo play. After I did that sticker update, and it's like, oh, it's just like getting in a warm bath. It's just so nice. It's just so wonderful. Um, Anyway, so that was it from Daniel, and then another Daniel. How many Daniels are there? Of course, this is two months of Daniel, so they could be repeats. I don't know whether this question is already answered, but have I ever tried the production copy of Spirit Island? And if yes, any updated final thoughts? Uh, yes, I played it solo um, because people were after me, after me, um, because it hadn't made it into my top 10 of whatever year that was, 2017, 2016, because I, I ended up getting the, they finally sent a production copy like two years later or something like that, out of the blue. Um, I thought it meant that they were going to send me um, the a prototype for the expansion so I could cover it, but they never did that. I don't know why. It's all weird. And so I eventually realized I got to play it. I went back and played it. Jen didn't have the time, so I played it myself and thought, wow, this is amazing. But damn, it's long. Damn, it's long. Um, and that's really my only complaint. I, I um, Yeah, 
I I I wish it, I could finish it in the same amount of time that I can finish a game of uh, Pandemic, and uh, then it would be near perfect. Okay, Nick says. Uh, he's been beta testing the Gloomhaven digital version. Uh, it's been a great experience. And seeing it's from Flaming Foul Studios, I was wondering what are my thoughts on that. Considering uh, the Flaming Foul team, uh, working with them has been great. And he believes Mike, that's Mike West, uh, worked for me while I was at Lionhead. Yeah. Yes, that's true. I am so, so happy for Mike and co. that, you know, they definitely landed on their feet uh, by landing that. That's so great. I mean, you know, and, and Mike is such a hardcore board gamer. He is so perfect for that job with all his years of video game development. And um, but, but but in his heart of hearts, he was always a board gamer. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, that's, that's a match made in heaven. I'm very, very happy that, um, you know, uh, that's how all that came to be. Is that your question? Those are my thoughts. Those are my thoughts. I mean, I guess I have thoughts on the game itself, um, which looks to be your next question. What do I think of the game turning into a digital version? Do you see yourself picking up and playing with it? Right now, it's EA and thin on features, but it's coming along. Uh, I love oh, early access, not electronic. You say EA. To me, that means electronic arts because I'm a dinosaur, Nick. I don't know of your early access new hip terminology in the video game industry. I do, though, because I did identify what you meant after a bit. But I thought for sure you meant electronic arts. I love the idea of being able to get together a group and play with people all across the world and adventure through the world. Or adventure through the world. Honey, yes. would you want to play Gloomhaven in digital form? We both have laptops. Would you like to sit on the couch and both of us have our laptops and play Gloomhaven that way with our virtual hands of cards and seeing the characters actually walk around and go, slash, <laughs> and stuff like that. With beautiful it's, graphics. It's and, too bad you guys can't see him. He's uh, very cute. I, I did actually act it out. Yep. Um, or would you it, rather play it at the table? I would give it a try, actually. Mm-hmm. Are we going to give it a try? Uh, I hadn't. I, I wasn't what I expected you to say. Well, it's mainly sitting on the couch. <laughs> it would be nice. Mm-hmm. Legs intertwined. Okay, yes. Yeah, so I would give it a try. What can I say? Do you think you'd prefer to play it that way? I mean, giving it a try, sure. You try anything once, but... I think I'm really lucky because you keep track of all the stuff. Yes. Um, but most people don't happen to have you. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of people. Mm-hmm. So I can see that that would be a really nice thing for people that don't have someone who's keeping track of all the stuff. Yeah. See, here's the thing. I worry about the keeping track of all the stuff because, you know, I mean, when we play Gloomhaven, we dig deep. You know, we, we spend five, six minutes on, you know, deciding how to play a single turn yeah. because we're paying attention to everything. Every creature, which ones are on fire, you know, <laughs> which ones have, um, you, know, are, you know, which ones are more likely to be able to get to us, which ones aren't, all of that stuff. Uh, you know, which ones are most of the way through their deck and they haven't pulled out that really nasty card? Which ones do we think are going to reset? You know, I mean, we, we really drill down on... We con- we consider everything, which is why it takes us th- two or three hours to play that game. Yeah. And it's also why we never lose. We almost never lose. Um, I don't know. You, we wouldn't be able to do that. If the system was automating all of that for us, yeah. it would become a much more fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants, just play and now well, see what happens, and I think we'd start dying. In all honesty, because I I think the system automating away all of that means we're just not involved in all of that. We we you know just through human nature, 
Uh, particularly because also, you know, you got your hand of whatever, nine cards. Yeah. It's one thing to lay them all out in front of you and look at all of them and move them around and think, of, okay, this one plus this one. It's another thing to do that virtually. Yeah. Or look, yeah, here's the nine cards and they're just like, a, they're, you know, they're taking up one third of the screen and I can use the mouse wheel to scroll through them. But, I mean, you can't touch them. You can't, you know... Yeah. I, I personally, I mean, no offense to Mike, but I, I don't think, no matter how good he does it, I don't think it competes. Or I don't think it can compete because of the tactile nature, because you are more directly invested and involved. Um, plus, I suspect there's a few things that they're not doing that I, if I were in charge of that project, I definitely would have done. One, or you tell me if they've done this, uh, we are most of the way through our, our um, campaign of our real campaign, if I wanted to play it, I don't want to start the whole freaking thing over again. I want to be able to jump in where we are in our real cardboard campaign and just continue in the digital campaign. I don't believe that's possible. At least I'd be shocked if it was. Uh, so that's a barrier to entry right there. Because we're way too invested and committed to what we're already doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'll be honest, from what I've seen of it, I would have done it a different way. I mean, they're doing it the very bog-standard way where all the characters, they just kind of stand there with an idle animation, just kind of breathing heavily <laughs> forever until yeah. you say, do this thing, and then they very calmly walk over, and then they do a little thing. Uh, the game doesn't feel like that when we're playing. I mean, for, you know, the game feels, even though we're playing incredibly slow, it feels fast and dangerous. It doesn't feel ponderous when we play. Um, and I, I think the way they have presented it, which again, is just very standard. It's the way all, I mean, going back to Final Fantasy Tactics, the way all these games are presented, I, I think it kind of robs the game of some of its urgency. I think I would have chosen a thing where the characters don't have idle animations. Instead, um, you know, the world looks like it's frozen in time. Like, you know, somebody's hit the pause button and everybody's like, everyone's in the middle of like a really cool dramatic pose. And then that's when you choose, okay, I'm going to have him run over there and do this. And so, and when he runs, it, he looks really cool and exciting and they end up in a very exciting pose. And so you feel like, you know, you, you know it's just like a, a perfect action movie moment, you know, caught in amber. And then you get to play with it and manipulate it and see how it goes. That's how I would have done it if, if it were me. And that's very, very different. And I, I understand why they wouldn't do that, because that would be a much more challenging technical task to do. The reason games are presented this way is because it's the easiest way to do animation blending and whatnot. So, I'm sorry. Uh, that's probably gone a lot deeper than most people care for. Uh, that's man, my old uh, video game designer coming back out. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. But apparently Jen would give it a try, mostly just so she could play it on the couch, yeah. which is fair. I would That would be nice, too. All righty. Carl uh, has been following Rado Runs Through since the days when I used my phone to record. I'm truly the best ambassador. Oh, thank you, Carl. Question is, have I ever given thought to designing a board game myself? Um, and if so, is there a particular theme, etc.? Carl, that question gets asked so often, it's answered at faq.rado.com. Let's see, which one is it? Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, it's in here somewhere. Control F, design. Um, yeah, uh, faq.rado.com, number 19, has the uh, answer to your question, Carl. Natalie is back. She's halfway through the, the, the campaign of Pandemic Legacy Season 1. Of course, this was back on um, the 24th of July. We haven't even gotten through July yet, honey pie, with all the questions. Okay. Um, all right. She's halfway through, and she's wondering, uh, can she keep on playing the game afterwards like Charterstone, or does she have to keep her original copy of Pandemic? Officially, you are supposed to burn it in a funeral pile, Natalie. However, I would suggest don't do that, because that's dumb. 
Um, the game is 100% continued playable. It is, as far as I'm concerned, 100% compatible with all... If you have the second edition versions of Pandemic Expansions, it all works fine. Here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to spoil anything about the story or anything, if you haven't already finished. At the end of the game, you will have a custom Pandemic board that you can play, that all the rules of regular Pandemic work with 100%. So, if you feel like playing Pandemic, you can just play on regular vanilla Pandemic, or you can play on your custom Pandemic board, where half the world um, is, uh, you know, cut off from each other because of riots, and, you. I mean, you're halfway through the game, you've seen all the kind of stuff that's happening, you can see how your world is changing permanently, and I think it's a very, when you're done, you will have a very cool variant board to play on. So why wouldn't you keep that around to play it? Uh, because you basically have an expansion worth of content. Now, I have posted on this at great length on the uh, Pandemic boards because you could even use the stuff that was introduced in Pandemic Legacy as a kind of an expansion. I won't say what the stuff is because there's people out there who haven't played it, but I found ways to make all that stuff work. I posted variants. It's one of the few times I do house rules. And, um, yeah, just uh, go to the Pandemic legacy discussion forums and do a search for post by Rado. You'll find those threads. They're in the variants. They're not very hard to find. So no, I, you will have, you, you can have many more adventures in your custom version of pandemic when you're done. Don't believe other people who say that's not true because it is true. Um, Marin says he recently mentioned uh, several bingo style games. We enjoy Karuba rise of Augustus. Uh, they got rid of because they were replaced by a better game that came in a smaller box. What game was that? I need to know. Ooh, what game was that? What game was it? Oh, um, it's, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's spelled Limes, L-I-M-E-S, but I think it's supposed to be Lemaze or something like that because it's a, it's a Latin word. But it's, it's spelled limes, and it's it. I, that's only kept because yeah, it was a smaller box than all the other ones, and it was heavier than all the other ones. Now that has been supplanted. Ecos, which I just did a video for a little while ago, just a couple weeks ago, or even last week, would supplant limes limes as the one um, gamers bingo game to keep if it weren't for the way it implemented two player gaming. Which remember that was the one where we were building up a world. And um, we had, like, what was it, 18 cards of all the stuff we had to combo together? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, that game that game could have been the um, the one bingo to rule them all. And I would say it is for higher player counts, but as a two-player game, I disagree with their design decisions. All righty. Um, but Limes works great, if that is, in fact, how you pronounce it. Uh, for a while, I felt bingo-style games were being replaced by Roll, Flip, and Rights, but maybe Tiny Towns. Ooh, Tiny Towns, that's a good one. It's not really, though. It's got that variant that's almost bingo, um, but it, but it's not because, was it like every third move you get to choose a custom one? So I would say that's bingo-adjacent. Bingo-adjacent. Yeah, and if I had to pick, I would keep Tiny Towns over Lemay's, or Limes. So, okay, that's interesting. And yeah, I guess it is, it is bingo-y. It is totally bingo Good call. Natalie is back. Hey, Natalie. Natalie has missed us, obviously. A question about my ratings on BoardGameGeek. How do I rate a game like a 7.563? She seems to only be able to make the ratings of full numbers, not as specific. Um, I don't think there's a secret. How do you do it? Let's see. Let's just go to a game. I am going to rate Orleans Stories. Which I can't, but I'm going to do it. I shouldn't. So basically, when you're when you're looking at the page, all you can do is whole numbers, and so you know, I'll say it's a nine, 
But here's the thing. After you say it's a nine, a little side window pops up where it lets you edit. And then you still see the stars where you could pick one or two or five or six or nine or whatever. But once you're in there, if you click the little text box, you can edit it manually. And now I can type in 8.36912T. Although I don't think it'll take the T. Yep, yeah, it didn't take the T. Um, right. So that's the trick. Um, you have to give it a, a number rating first. And then when the edit comes up, you can then manually type in whatever number you want. That's the secret sauce. That's how you hacksaw it. Okay. Oh, dear. Mike has a very long email. Okay, doke Is that from Natalie? Yes. You okay, honey pie? Yeah. All right. Mike says, good morning. After listening to my Gen Con, po- my Gen- <sighs> my Gen Con podcast this week, I have to say uh, he's a little disappointed with my attitude or the way it came through in a few parts. He even um, found some of it to be insulting to other people. Okay. Yes. Okay. I think I know where this is going. Right. Heck, I've been with you for a long time, uh, podcasts and videos, and I think I know your style, but I was a, I, even I was a little what the, at some, and some of my friends were scratching their heads as well. One thing I kept doing was talking about how this game or that game shouldn't have been on the Gen Con list a lot. That is true. I did, and I recognized I was doing it. I think I commented on it several times, and I kept wanting to stop, and it was just driving me so badly that I couldn't. And it wasn't doing anybody any good. I was repeating myself. It's a very bad habit. I have. Jen, now that she has lived with my mother for a year, will confirm that that is definitely a habit I picked up from her, mm-hmm. right? Yes. This is why I've been telling her for years. I, I repeat myself all... I'm doing it right now. Uh-huh. I just said it. I'm about to say it again for no reason. Yeah, stop it. Um, so, yes, I was way in the wrong on that, and I apologize. It's it's just a really, really bad habit. Um <laughs> You know, like saying um all the time is a really bad habit. And I try to stifle that. I try to stifle my urge to repeat myself. And yet here I am repeating myself three times in the same paragraph after I said I wasn't going to do it. So I agree. It was bad form. Um, Right. So, and you said a bunch more stuff. Okay. Uh, Secondly, I talk about how much, yes, how much power shut up and sit down wields. And um, I guess, Mike, you did not see that that comment created such a uh, a, a firestorm, um, a brouhaha that prompted me to have to issue a public apology to the members of Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, you can go to their forum on Board Game Geek. You can find my public apology there. You can see where they replied and said, no problem, Rado. We all goof up every once in a while. And certainly I goof up more than most. And it, um, I forget where else. There's a few places on Board Game Geek. But the easiest thing, just go to Shut Up and Sit Down's uh, uh, guild because I apologize there. It was a total misunderstanding. Um, I was not uh, trying to in any way, shape, or form cast shade on them. It was a bad joke referencing a uh, deep cut to a previous episode that nobody except for me understood or heard correctly, and I just blew it, and I apologize because that was just dumb. Alrighty. So... Um, bah, bah, bah. so you encouraged me to wield my power responsibly as well. Fair enough. Like I said, I was totally in the wrong. I apologize. It was just a dumb joke that didn't, it was such a bad joke. It didn't even sound like a joke and it was taken in a different way. Totally understandable. My fault. All righty. Um, thanks for reminding me. Oh, cause that's right. Cause I actually said, I, I totally forgot about that till just now in the thread. Cause there was a long thread that went on for like a dozen pages about this. And I did say in that thread right up front that I was actually going to make clear in my next podcast. 
and I totally forgot about it because it's so water under the bridge now. So thank you for bringing it back up. Um, in fact, I will put a link in the show notes to this, to that thread. If there's anybody else out there who still has residual, wow, Rado really came and shut up and sit down hard, WTF, because uh, that was not my intent. And uh, it's been all explained at length online. Okay, uh, when I start insulting people directly, that's where you draw the line, as should you. Right. It was not an insult, or certainly it was not intended. I certainly understand how it was taken as such, and hopefully that's all been cleared up. Uh, Let's see, continuing on. The other thing I'm fairly consistently scratching my head about is while I talk about a lot of games, I often don't really research them all that well. Uh, As part of that, I often seem to only care about previous games by the same designer, artist, and hope for the best. I assume you must be talking about games of interest. Um, Sure, yes, that's because I literally spend um, probably... Actually, I'm going to disagree with you there. When you say I don't do research, I probably spend over 20 hours a month, every month, researching games. And if you occasionally... And and that, it takes an incredible amount of time um, in a situation where I'm already spending an incredible amount of time answering every single question asked of me everywhere, in every format, in every form. And spending an incredible amount of time learning games, and playing games, and filming games, and reading rule books for games I will never play. And amongst all that, I spend hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour upon hour researching the games of interest, specifically for the sole reason of having that little segment at the beginning of this podcast. Um, And yes, to me, if my research immediately reveals that, oh, designer X and Y, who have an insane track record and have done amazing work over and over and over again and have proven that they are to be trusted... That's as far as that research needs to go, as far as I'm concerned, and I feel fairly justified in that. If you say there's a new Steven Spielberg movie coming, done. I'm there. You don't have to tell me anything about it. Steven Spielberg has earned the right to not require additional research. So has... Um, uh, uh, so has Friedman Freeze. So has Reiner Knizia. So... I will respectfully disagree with you. To me, that is, considering the fact that if I were to then say, oh, well, I already know this is going to be a game I want to check out. I could now spend another 20 minutes on this game reading the rule book and trying to understand all the intricacies. That, to me, is lost time that I could be doing all the other stuff I try to do for this show. So I will respectfully disagree that I don't do research. I spend so many hours researching games every month. I suspect I am probably in the top 5% of all board game geeks in the world in terms of how much time I spend researching games. Okay, so uh, with that out of the way, sorry if that came on a bit strong. Um, that really that really kind of hit me hard because I, I, I kind of want to call a little BS on that. That's not true, but, uh, but it's fair enough from your perspective. You're not there with me for those 20 hours I sit on the couch reading through... Uh, oh my gosh. Anyway, so uh, let's continue. Uh, we know that the upcoming games list are full of games short on information. Um, and there are... Yes. Yeah. And there are some that have bare descriptions, more news, etc. Um, but mostly noting here, I'm talking about games that are already released. Well, then, oh, whoop, I guess I should have read further. Um, things, if they're already released, then they aren't on my games of interest. Because that's, all right, so then, uh, then I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you're, um, um, thus far, you have not given a single concrete example, Mike. And that doesn't help me. Mike, I think I'm going to suggest, help me help you. Come back next month with concrete examples of what you're talking about. This kind of very 
hand wavy. Well, there's been examples of this and that and the other, but I'm not actually going to give you any concrete examples. I'm just going to lay the blanket statement with no actual support because I've now skimmed ahead the rest. I do not see the name of a single game anywhere in your very long email. So Mike, I would respectfully request that if you would like to discuss how I am failing to research games that have already been released to a satisfactory level, please give concrete examples. Um, in the immortal words of, um, of the internet, picks or it didn't happen would be my response to that. And I say that hopefully with good humor and good nature. I appreciate this is your perspective, but I can't, I can't respond if you're just going to give blanket statements and not actually back them up with concrete stuff. And I say this because this is something I deal with all the freaking time online. I was describing all the stuff I have to deal with in a given month to run my show. A sizable portion of my time is spent responding to these kind of general, vague um, statements of what I do or do not do, never, ever backing those up with actual concrete examples. You had concrete examples earlier. You even put in the timestamp. That was appreciated. I'm going to say, if you'd like to continue this conversation, I'm more than happy to do it, but please do so with some actual examples, because I'll be honest, Mike, you kind of ticked me off a little bit. That It feels very unfair that you are... I, I, I should just stop. I'm just digging myself a hole. Jen is over there nodding silently. Yes, you should totally stop, so I will. <laughs> that, folks, just gave you a brief insight into the reality of this show. I spend so much of my time angry because of Rotto Runs Through, because of stuff like this. And Mike, I know you're not attacking me. I know you're a good person. I know you're trying to be positive and thoughtful. But Mike, I'm telling you, you come here and you say I do the X, Y, and Z, and you don't even give any concrete examples. All right. You were going to move on. Hey, you know what I'm doing? I'm repeating myself needlessly. (laughs) Because that's a bad habit that we previously established in Mike's email. Not that that hasn't already been established in a dozen other episodes of this podcast as well. So I will just stop right there and say, Mike, I'm sorry. I'll agree to disagree. And Jen's like, really, I got to stop. Wrap it up, man. Yes. Okay. Hey, honey. Yeah. Natalie's back. Right. All right. Um, I said I got rid of Feast for Odin, but then I played the expansion. How did this happen? Did they send a new copy? Yes, they did. Uh, they sent me a copy that was a demo copy from a convention because they didn't have any review copies to send out. And I said, boy, I'd really like to cover this because everybody says I should play Feast for Odin with the expansion because it's amazing and it fixes all the problems. And so I contacted them. They said, yeah, we don't have any. Maybe in a year we'll have some for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And they said, but we can send you these used um, copies. They might not have all the pieces in them and whatnot. I'm like, okay. And that's what they sent. And that's what you saw me do a video of. All righty. Um... And it was cool because, yeah, it, oh man, so amazing. Uh, that that, that uh, expansion did such good stuff. Picture this, the Grizzled, but with German soldiers. Okay. Uh, I, do I think it would be an equal hit with the audience? Who would publish such a thing? French publishers, because the soldiers are French? Um, we'll be revisiting this. Oh, we're going to come back to that. Natalie will be back in the personal section, honey. Um, right. D- okay, so I pictured it. Do I think it would be a hit? Honey pie. Do you remember the Grizzled? Yes, of course. Whoa. Yeah. The, I thought... It's the, the World War II and you're behind the lines and you see the guys before and after. Wow. I am amazed that you remember this. Yeah. First of all, it's World War One, but yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, obviously there's a big difference there, but still, I mean, you, you were in the neighborhood. That's fantastic. I'm sure, Do you remember the gameplay at all? 
Or you just remember the impact the actual game itself yeah, had on the you. Game. Mm. Well, imagine that game if it wasn't French soldiers, but it was young German soldiers. Nothing changed about the game. How would your what would your response be to that experience? World War One? Yes. Or World War Two. Well, World War Two is a little bit of a different story, isn't it? Yeah, but I'm just saying if is it? I think so. Uh, Germany was the uh, aggressor both times. Yeah. Yeah, but the second time they were hmm? really, really bad. <laughs> okay, then let's just say World War One then. Okay. Um, I think every side has a couple of, you know, every story has a couple of different sides. So I guess it would be fine. Mm-hmm. Do you do you um, do you think it would be an equal hit? I su- suspect it would not. I hate to say it, but one of the reasons that game was as big a hit as it was was because of the tragedy that surrounded the game. I don't know if you ever knew this. The artist who did it was a very famous French artist, and he was killed in the uh, terrorist attacks in Paris. Oh. Right around the same time that that game came out. Ooh. Or no, I think the game came out shortly thereafter, and he was actually, I think it was referenced in the uh, rules, if I recall correctly. Okay. So, I, this is horrible and heartless, and I don't mean it this way, but that certainly did uptick the awareness factor of that game. Um, but taking that out, you know, cause that's really immaterial to your question. I do think it is unfortunate that if nothing had changed about that circumstances other than, um, it, uh, featured, you know, it came from Hans and Gluck and it was about German soldiers instead of French soldiers from, oh, I only remember cool mini or not did the English version of it. Um, I don't think it would do as well. And I think that's a shame because it should be just as good. It should be just as compelling. Um, the individual German soldiers were, are, are you know, or were just as much human as the French soldiers, you know, or the yeah. Belgian soldiers, or, or any of the other soldiers. Um, and apparently, we're going to come back to that. She said, "All righty, um, tell me more about Abomination. It sounds like such a cool theme. Have you played it yet? As it happens, we talked about that earlier, honey. Do you have anything more to say about Abomination? Is that the zombie one? No, it's or the, the Frankenstein, v- Frankenstein one. one yes. Um, no, <laughs> I don't have anything to say about that. We started out playing it, and Jen realized, oh. Because I explained how, hey, one of the things, if you go talk to that guy in the dark alley who's trying to sell you body parts, you can pay extra and save the dog. He said, okay, I'll do that. Because you know, it doesn't help her other than increases her humanity. I said, oh, you can give uh, speeches over at the, you can give lectures at the academy. She said, okay, I'll do that. Yep. And like, okay. And, and I get, okay, oh, you can go over to the church and you can engage in, um, you know, in good deeds. She said, okay, I'll do that. And that's when she, oh, yeah, this one basically ruins your plans for this term. And okay, what about another one? Oh, this one. And they're all. I mean, I, I, like, I think there were, in a, in a deck of 15 cards, there were like three that weren't attack cards. Or not attack cards, but screw with your opponent's cards. Um, prevent them from doing what they want to do. And um, that's when we stopped. I mean, if you kept playing. See, because here's the thing. I, I figured Jen could handle it because I knew there were good paths for her. And she didn't have to go murder anybody in a dark alley. She could have. Um, I didn't think she'd have too much of a problem just going and bribing somebody at the morgue to get some relatively fresh body parts. I figured that'd be a little grim and macabre, but not too bad. Or just getting some perfectly fresh parts straight off the the, the uh, gallows. or the, um, And um, and I figured she'd be okay with that. Uh, and you know, she, was, she was ready to keep going. But when we saw that, wow, like 20% of what you can do in this game is just screw with your opponents for no reason. It just doesn't belong in there at all. Uh, it's like, okay, well, then let's just not go with it. And so we stopped. Um, and it's too bad, because I really wanted to try the story stuff. The story stuff in that game is so neat. All righty. Moving right along to Jonathan, who has um, watched me almost all the way from the beginning. One thing he's noticed over the last year and a half is that my demeanor 
has changed significantly. What used to be a sort of anti-establishment endearing sarcasm has shifted into caustic and biting at times. As well, there's a slight note of, you don't know what you're doing when it comes to certain things that come up in the industry. Uh, it's sort of come to a head with the Gen Con preview where I was constantly, you know, Eric, we talked about that before. Uh, I would like to, I'd like to start the question, um, uh, yeah, and you do, I would do it again, again, yeah, yes, yes. I, I, I again, yeah, uh, my bad. I think you would find I would have done that the previous year and the previous year and the previous year. In fact, I did. I know it's a complaint I level many, many times. It's just that this year he did it more than any other time. It's always been an issue that there are games on there that shouldn't be on there. And this year it was, he took it to an 11. And so he did it more often. I talked about it more often, but if you go watch, listen to my earlier ones, you'll notice I said the same thing multiple times. Anyway, uh, back to Jonathan. He was soured a little bit because he suspects Eric, yeah, yeah, right. Um, depends on the publishers to help out. Yeah, of course, yeah. Eric, I mean, I, as I said, right at the very beginning of it, as I say every year, Eric's amazing. He's a godsend. He does us all so much work, and I'm so appreciative of everything he does. I told him this in person to his face. This is the guy that lists everything that's, yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, I even know about him. Yeah, yeah. He is awesome. Yep. And then I spent a lot of time criticizing publishers for the descriptions of entries, a common rant over the last few podcasts, uh, finishing at one point by saying derisively, they should just hire me uh, do their marketing promotion. Hmm, you say derisively, I would have said Riley, because I said that knowing uh, meaningfully as, I, I don't expect them to. If they did offer me, I wouldn't do it. It was just me being sarcastic, uh, because, uh, folks, cover your kids' ears. Um, Jen has for years, for actually most of our married life, referred to me affectionately as a sarcastic asshole. Is that true? No. Yes, it is. There was one time (laughs) within about a year of our getting married Mm -hmm. where you were being a rather sarcastic asshole. Mm -hmm. And I think I... Keep those ears, kids. Those kids' ears covered, folks. I didn't even mean to let it slip out, but Mm -hmm. it slipped out. Mm -hmm. And... But it was true. I'm not not saying any... It it was true. It was true. I am... A sarcastic asshole. No, you're not. Yes, I am. That no, is the real I'm me. Not. No. You uh, talk to Mike West, who worked for me, worked for me and with me for years at Lionhead. Talk to me, anybody who has worked with me in the video game industry. They all know I am. I'm, I'm obviously. I like to think I'm a caring and, and empathetic and yes, um, you know. The asshole part uh, yeah. I do not but I am. Okay, I'll say I am a sar. Okay, we're going to stop saying that so you can uncover the kids' ears. I am a sarcastic jerk. No, it, it is a big part of my of my humor. I am often being you sarcastic be, about stuff. Yeah, but the jerk part implies that you're mean and that you're any sarcasm. Delight. Any sarcasm can be taken to be jerkish. Period. That is the definition of sarcasm. Sarcasm. Um, it's. I believe it's always within the purview of the listener to take that as well. You're being kind of a jerk. Because being, you can't be sarcastic and not be, on some level, being a jerk. Because it, by definition, is being dismissive of someone or something else. That That is the nature of it. Now, the thing is, it is woven into my bones. Um, and Jen, when we first got married, she said, I, well, you're kind of a jerk about it, aren't you? And I think she's just gotten used to it over the years. And because, I mean, now I'll, I'll say something sarcastic about something in the car or whatnot. And she'll just laugh and laugh and laugh. Because he knows I don't mean anything by it. And I didn't mean anything by, well, those guys don't know what they're doing and they should just let me do all. I mean, I don't mean that in any way, shape, or form. Mm. Um, and if Jen had been there, she would know that I didn't mean that. Obviously, Jonathan, you have not been married to me for almost 30 years. And so, at least, 
as far as I know. Yeah. Um, and so you, uh, uh, you know, you, you certainly take it a different way, and it's perfectly reasonable the way you take it. It's perfectly reasonable the way Mike took his similar comments from earlier. Um, I think, no, actually, I should continue. Anyway. Uh, so, and I think, Richard, that this is kind of, there's, this is the crux of it. I wonder, uh, whether my heart is still in it for the money that I actually make. I've pondered on air about just handing a range over to Slicker Drips, uh, to get, and, and getting a cut. I often talk about what I would do if I shut down Rado. Now, I often talk about that because people often ask about that. I should uh, hasten to add, this is a question that comes up every three or four months, and so I answer the question. If they didn't ask, I wouldn't answer that. But anyway, um, I just get the feeling that things may be getting to me. or getting. I don't know if it's the stress of moving back to the States or having to care for your mom or something else, but I really feel that your heart isn't in it. Uh, It's for that reason that I find myself watching fewer and fewer of your run-throughs. There is a tone of resentment that's just kind of off-putting. Again, Jonathan, I'm going to try and keep it cool this time and say that is unfair for you to imply that more and more of my run-throughs have an undercurrent of resentment, but you will not actually name any of them so that I could go look and try to actually defend myself or better myself or understand where you're coming from, I view that, uh, Jonathan, as you coming at me and putting me in an unfair position where I have to explain and defend my behavior in a vacuum with no actual concrete examples. I'm sorry, but I'll continue. Um, I still listen to the talk through every month, and there are times I think Jen will step in and say something, but she doesn't. And I almost get the sense that she knows things just aren't the same. See, it's ironic um, because the podcast, if anything, I would expect you to, to tune out of the podcast because the podcast is me, me being as close to the real me as I ever am in a Rado pursuit. The real me is staying away from people, not talking to people, just making little sly, sarcastic, undercutting references to things as a joke. Not meaning anything by it, other than just being clever. Um, for people who know, for you know, my my the closest people in my life, my friends in high school, and my wife, and my family, and that's pretty much it. Because I've never been close to anybody else in my life ever. Um, I've, I've 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 had good friendships with people who I've worked with, but you know, not. I mean, I've I've never really made like lifelong connections like that. Um, so very few people ever see the real, real me, but me on, um, you're at least seeing me relatively unfiltered here in the podcast. I am super filtered in the run-throughs themselves, which is why I take exception to you saying that you are watching, you continue to watch, you you say there's a tone of resentment in my run-throughs without naming any specifically, so I can neither... I, I can't respond to that at all. That's why I'll leave it there. I'll hope to, although I'll probably repeat it five more times. Um, but then you say you continue listening to my podcast and that um, you're, you're now putting words in Jen's mouth that she knows things aren't the same. And uh, Jonathan, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just going to have to agree to disagree. Um, oh, but I'm sorry. I should have continued because your very next sentence was, am I off base here? Uh, is this just a plain and simple curmudgeonliness settling in? I say that with the same tongue-in-cheek that I talk about my 51-year-old self. Or is it something that has soured me on the whole damn thing? Well, that's, see, now that's, I can reach out to you there. Because, oh, yeah, Jonathan, I've been soured on the whole damn thing for years. 
May I make no apologies. I make no secret of the fact that Rado Runs Through went from being a hobby to being a job years ago. Um, right around the time that it was something that I had to do. As long as I didn't have to do it. Um, but I mean, no, that's not, that's not entirely it. I mean, that, that's a portion of it. I have, Jen, I was just talking about this the other day. I've never had a job for more than six years, period. Uh, you know, in my life in the video game industry, uh, you know, there, there was a ticking time, you know, because we realized, oh, we've never lived anywhere for more than six years at a time mm. because I kept changing jobs and moving us. Um, this is the longest I've ever held a job, as Rado runs through, by, I mean, by at least two years, longer than any other job I've ever done. And uh, yeah, it's getting to me, um, doing the same thing over and over and over again. And um, answering the same accusations of being a shill and um, you know lying all the time and all the crap I have to deal with all the time, uh, yeah, it gets to me. Um, however, I guess all I'm saying is, thereby repeating myself, mm-hmm. I don't understand why you feel that's coming through in the run-throughs because I work so hard, so incredibly hard to keep the run-throughs positive, upbeat. Just about the games, and um, yeah. So I'm I'm a bit flummoxed that you would say, well, your run-throughs are getting a bit too bitter and resentful. But I'll keep listening to the the uh, the talk-throughs. I'm sorry, um, Jonathan. This is me, relatively unfiltered. It always has been, um, and I don't think that's going to change. And uh, yeah, so maybe you should just skip the 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 uh, the podcast. Because that's where people will ask me a question and I will answer to the best of my ability. And that means the curmudgeon will come out. It doesn't come out in the run-throughs, though. If you disagree, please let me know where and when and we can talk about this further. Okie dokie. Fun podcast. Wee! Having a good time. That was me being a sarcastic jerk, by the way. Uh, thereby dismissing what you guys had to say in good faith. When, in fact, I wasn't trying to do that. I was just being sarcastic to try to lighten the mood because that is my natural predisposition. Um, but I realize it could be taken a different way. Please understand, I was not trying to dismiss you in any way by saying, Woo, this is fun. Because it's, no, it's not fun. Um, but I am trying to make light of it in my natural predisposition because that is what my sense of humor is based on. Okay, and I just like to say... Oh, hi, honey pie. Hello, are, are you still here? I'm... Still sitting here. Look at me being a sarcastic jerk, completely dismissing you out of hand. <laughs> Even though you got brought directly into that and I should have pulled you in. Yeah. Hi, honey. Hi. I'm going to have a drink of water. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Um, so basically, it seems to me that the vast majority of the Rado interactions are quite positive. Most people are very um, complimentary, nice, caring, warm, normal people. But there are a couple of trolls out there. Uh, a couple. And I know you keep... You keep me out of a lot of the stuff because, of course, I'm not reading everything online. I, yeah. I'm not on You do BGG. not want to know. I'm not. No, you don't. I Well, I want you to be happy. Hmm. But it seems like you do constantly get accused of all sorts of stuff that, you know, people would just pay attention. They'd say, you're not doing any no. of that. And invariably. I used to step up and defend myself and, and you know, give long diatribes about, uh-huh. well, look, here's this and this and this and this. Here's all this example. And then they just disappear into the ether. And at no point did anybody say, oh, wow, Rado, you're right. Actually, what I said doesn't have any basis in reality. You've clearly proven me wrong. I apologize. Nope, they'll just disappear. And then a few months later, they'll come back and repeat the same thing over and over again. And that is my freaking life. Man, I'm sorry, honey, please go on. Well, I'm just saying that gets old. I think that is what's getting old, is that you have are constantly defending against, oh, same yes. old crap. There comes a point in, in the vast majority of, of uh, celebrities lives. And I am a celebrity. I hate to say it. It sounds so stupid, but I am a celebrity, a very small celebrity in a very small 
neck of the woods. And invariably, there always comes a time when the celebrities write, okay, I have to withdraw. Yeah. I, I can no longer engage with my audience. Um, I'll hire somebody to run my Twitter feed for me. And, um, or I'll just cancel my Twitter feed altogether, etc., etc. That happens without exception. I've been doing this not withdrawing for eight years, and I know I should. It would be the healthiest thing in the world. Actually, that's not entirely true. I've, redrew- I've withdrawn twice. I withdrew from Reddit um, because, and it's weird. Everybody gets that wrong. I didn't withdraw from Reddit because people were being overly mean to me. They weren't being more mean or negative to me there than any place else. They were just being negative in general. There was just an air of negativity, of taking the piss out of everything, just assuming the worst out of anything or anybody. And I came to the point where, well, heck, I'm involved in these, and I have to try and be a a voice for positive, uplifting good, and try to present the perspective of the publisher or the other reviewer or whoever it might be. And it's just making me so miserable, and it just never, ever stopped. And I realized one day, you know what? If these people were in my house doing this, I would ask them to leave. If I were in their house and they were doing this, I would get up and leave. And that's when I realized, why am I just not leaving? And so I left Reddit. I also left the general forums in Board Game Geek because it was just as bad. I understand it's much better now. And I understand it's much better in Reddit, too. Um, that, uh, you know, the administrators try to work harder to ensure that everybody is more empathetic to everybody else. Uh, and that's great. But, you know, once burned, twice shy. Uh, I, I, I should just stop altogether. I should... I mean, I'll be honest, um, Mike and John, um, you have contributed directly to my unhappiness with your, again, I know you don't mean it this way. I know you're good people. I know you're trying to do it in a positive, upbeat fashion. But again, you came at me with vague, uh, and just like, stop it. I'll stop it because I'm just repeating myself because it's, it's woven into me. I can't stop myself. Um, well, but, but I'm saying that that is what's robbing a lot of the joy mm-hmm. for you. And yeah, I would say that's fair. So I think the only solution to that is withdrawing from your pledge to answer every question everybody asks mm-hmm. you. Yes, I could just turn. I mean, yeah, a lot of YouTube channels, you will note, I mean, I could do it anytime I want. I could push a button and disable all comments on all videos, period. I could do it across the board. And, um, you know, and I, and I could uh, delete my Twitter account like I deleted my Reddit account and all of that. And I probably should. I feel terrible doing that, though, because I treat all online interactions as if they were real in-person interactions. And to me, there's nothing ruder than somebody who recognizes me at an Ikea. This actually happened not too long ago. (laughs) My mom and I were at Ikea, and somebody recognized me, and it was just freaky. And they came up and said hi, and they asked me some questions, and it was nice to meet them and all that. So... To me, the worst thing in the world would be somebody come and say, hi, um, I was wondering about this. And for me, just to just walk away, just put my hand up, mm-hmm. talk to the hand and walk away. I, I can't do that. That's just the height of just awfulness. And to me, not answering a question that somebody asked on a forum somewhere is the exact same thing. Somebody took the time to ask a question and for me not to answer it is the height of rudeness. Now, I know I can intellectually appreciate they have no expectation of me responding because... Trolls never do. I mean, they're always shocked when I do respond. And then they dig down for a while until I prove they're wrong. And then they just silently slink Mm. away, never saying anything. And then they just wait until I'm gone. And then they just repeat the same stuff over and over and over again. Um, And it just never ends. Sorry, folks. I'm repeating myself. I don't have an answer. Jen's answer is just stop. Just disengage from everybody. Only post stuff on Patreon. 
um, because people are actually paying to hear my stuff there. So, of course, I should respond to them. I could do that, but uh, and it would probably make my life a lot better. Maybe I should. But that also means quitting the podcast uh, when it boils right down to it. And um, because the podcast is 80% me answering people's questions, including occasionally questions that I have a hard time not getting my hackles up over. So anyway, and that translates to uh, me being a curmudgeon or a sarcastic jerk. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Anything else, Honey Pie? Thank you. That was, a, that was very well said. No, nothing else. Okay. Well, let's move on to Gerald, who has three quick gaming-related questions. What percentage of publishers send a final copy of a game months after I review their prototype? <sighs> maybe 20%. Maybe one in five. Maybe. Maybe uh, two in five offer. I always, if, if they offer, I just say, no, that's okay. You don't need, I have too many games as it is. So sometimes they just send it because of course they have my address because they sent me the prototype. So maybe one in five do, and maybe two in five ask something like that. Um, and that's okay. I have no expectation because even if they did send it, it's not like I'll ever get to play it again. And I have more than enough games as it is. Normally I only play games a smaller number of times. Do I think one of the reasons why I like legacy games so much is they compel you to play more. No, uh, that'd be one of the reasons I don't like legacy games because they make my life uh, miserable. Because yeah, I because I gotta have to we just bowl through them. Yeah, unfortunately. yeah. Unfortunately. Yep. Um, so no, the reason we love legacy games is everything that I mean. We would love them just as much. We'd love them more if it wasn't for Rado runs through because we could savor them like a fine wine. And um, but because what makes legacy great is the permanence, the gravitas, the meaning of every decision you make that can't be undone. That's what makes them special. Um, yeah. Uh, I can judge it. I can judge. Or Gerald says, I can judge a game accurately after one play because of my expertise and knowledge. But did a game that I thought was poor or just okay ever surprise me after a second play? You know, I'm sure that must have happened. But I don't think so. My gut feeling is no. I, I don't think that ever happens. Because, uh, yeah, I've been making, I've been in the games industry for over a quarter of a century now. I really know what I'm talking. I'm, I'll be, I'll, I'll be a not a sarcastic jerk, but a pompous jerk, and say I know what I'm talking about when I talk about games and game design. Uh, even though there are plenty of people out there who, well, I'm repeating myself. I'll stop. Um, and so, no, I, I, occasionally, uh, what you're suggesting has not happened. What has happened occasionally, and I'm very, uh, very acutely aware of this. Occasionally, I will read a rule book. And say, yeah, that's not for us, and dismiss it out of hand. And then by hook or by crook, I'll end up playing it somewhere down the road, and I'll be like, damn, I did not appreciate what this game had. The rulebook didn't make it clear what made this game special. That has happened from time to time. That happened with Everdell. Everdell is a really good example. I said no when they asked me to cover Everdell, because I'm like, man, this just seems like such bog-standard worker placement. And it is. But here's the thing. They sent me the rule book. They did not send me a list of the cards. And if I had been able to look through all those cards, I think I would have appreciated, wow, there's a lot here that I didn't get from just reading the rule book. So, yeah, that happens occasionally. But no, I don't think once, you know, I mean, you know, one turn, most of the time reading the rule book is enough and a game doesn't surprise me. One or two turns is generally enough. I mean, Jen will confirm the first time we're playing games, those first few rounds, I am talking as much as I do in a video because I'm just articulating, oh, and this means this, and this is this, and that's how this is going to end. And this, and is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Jen's just like, could you just shut up? I'm trying to play the game here. <laughs> and I'm just articulating everything that um, that 
that I would be experiencing, you know, on game 50. And, you know, because I might not see it several times because I'm just seeing all the permutations that can happen because I've been making games for over a quarter of a century. Sorry, that's beside the point. But anyway, I believe that answered your question uh, in the most pompous way possible. Okay. You know, hey, I'm thinking, how long have we been going? We might have to put personal questions and answer like, this month. Yeah. We are coming up on three hours. Let's just get through the games. Not three hours, but we started at one. Didn't no, we? but yeah, this whole podcast is at oh. two hours and 45 minutes at this point. Uh. So I think we might have to skip the personal Q&As this month because we still got a long way to go. All righty. Double camera feed from Joseph. I've been a big fan of the vids. Inspired me to make my own channel. Um, board games with Niramas. Oh. And of course, Jen uh, made those lovely Draco figures. Yeah. Um, we oh, it's about a, that this morning. Yes, you were. My orange dragons. Uh, honey, you were just well, you were just asking what happened with like Joseph's orange yeah. dragons. Yeah, you hadn't heard from him. Apparently, we heard from Joseph. He's oh. very happy. Hey. Um, those lovely glass Draco figures I've had are my Kickstarters to go to Essen and so on. Anyway. I noticed something very cool when I watched your July sum-up video. In one of the background videos, you had a double feed that showed card zooms in. Um, what's the secret? Okay. I, man, you wrote this back like a couple days after I put that out. I am sure by now, um, Joseph, Board Games with Naramis, go check him out on Kickstarter. Um, he's, he's I'm sorry, not Kickstarter, on, on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I start, that, that thing you saw was the first time, my first experiment doing the green screening. I'm doing it all the time now. It has allowed me to make uh, filming much more pleasant because I no longer have to do handheld because I can use the green screen. Uh, you can go to faq.rada.com. The question about equipment actually shows pictures. If you are a backer of the show on Patreon, I just filmed a very long video that goes into depth about how I film everything, how the green screen works, how the software works, and all that. So if you're a backer of the show. Heck, even if you back for one month uh, as a rambler for $2, you can then watch all my rambles and then cancel the backing and never have to pay again. So you could go really into depth about that. Alrighty. Um, and I highly recommend it. It's It was a pain and there's still some crap with it, which I talk about in the video, but uh, it's, it's made my life so much easier. I wish I had thought of doing this like years ago. I don't know why I didn't. I should have been doing it from the moment that I had a static camera overhead. Okay. Um, ba, 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 ba. Man, I'm really starting to feel guilty about losing it on those previous ones. Um, Mike and Jonathan, I'm really sorry. You you guys were just punching bags for all the frustrations I get because you were just kind of like little microcosms of, as Jen said, all the crap I deal with on a daily basis. You were totally cool. I'm cool. I apologize, guys. Anyway. Um, ba, 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 ba. So, my last podcast, I mentioned the, oh, this is Steve, says, I mentioned the cooperative imperfect communication genre and how it's on the rise, and I we need to come up with a term. This is basically games where we're playing cooperatively, but we can't give full information about what we're doing. Oh. Um, and I was like, what do you call that? Because it's a co-op <laughs> where you can't talk or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And his humble suggestion is the no-op with a K, oh. K-N-O-W, as in no-op. I think the very problem is as soon as you say it out loud, everybody's going to say, what? It's, it's a cooperative game where you're not allowed to cooperate? It's a no-op. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that's what, it's clever, but I think um, it works better in print than in um, verbally, unfortunately. Will that catch on or am I talking through my butt, says Steve from Australia. Steve, I think that's going to come right out of your butt because um, the, uh, the um, what, what is the term when a word has the same pronunciation but it's radically different words? Yeah, it's, I don't know. It's not an onomatopoeia, but it's something like that. And I think that's that's going to kill it dead. But keep, on, but keep on fighting the good fight, Steve. Honey, yes. Natalie is back. Hi. Natalie. Um, yeah, we've we left her for two months. 
That's true. Alrighty. Everybody's She's got two it. months worth of questions. Okay. I really enjoyed the new thing where we show the cards and really close up. Uh, please share how you do this. I just mentioned that uh, to Joseph a couple a little bits ago. Um, a couple little bits ago. A couple little bits ago. As one of your Patreon supporters, I was wondering, what does it mean that I have a vote level of X? Can you explain what that means? Okay. What that means, Natalie, is um, if you back... At a, um, I forget the number. I think if you back at the $3 a month level, you get to cast a vote. And um, your vote counts as one vote. If you back at the next level, I think it's the, I'd have to look them up. I set this stuff up years ago now. If you back at the next level, your vote counts as two people. It's like you're voting twice. So you have twice the power. And then everything at the higher levels, uh, you have five times the power. It says your vote counts as five people voting yes, no, maybe. So that's what it means. But what does what does it actually mean for yes, no, maybe? Um, if if you leave it at, let's see, basically, if if you if you back at the level where you only get one vote, which I think is the uh, three dollar level, um, meh means zero. It means you literally didn't care. You didn't give a positive or negative. The no means negative five. You, it's like you voted f- against it five times. But if you're like a really high-level voter, that means you voted against it 25 times. Because uh, no means negative five. And if you if you're the 5x multiplier, negative 25 points towards that. Um, let's see. And going the other way, there's the... Uh, or no, shrug is, is uh, blank. And then there's... I don't know. It goes... One, three, five, if I recall correctly. So whatever the yes or oh my God, yes, that's you um, uh, voting yes for it five times, which is really 25 times if you're the highest level voter. So it's the opposite of no. And then the other ones are um, ones and threes or something like that. That's basically what it means. Um, If you're quick, you can see what it means because after you do your votes um, and you you see the result, you can see how the numbers change. You can change your vote immediately and see how the number changes. And as long as nobody else is voting right at that second, you can see how much of an impact you have because you can vote 100 times. You can change your mind um, six ways to Sundays if you like. Hmm. All right. All right. So. Uh, Yarnus says, I did a top 10 expansions a while ago, but in the video, I showed expansions to games that I already liked. Are there any expansions that turned a game that I do not like into a game I liked? Probably not. Maybe. Let's look. Let's see. Let's look at expansions. What expansions do I have? All right. So that means I need to go to ranked com, but then I need to change it to look at expansions instead of regular games. And I will just do a quick scan. Um, I'm sure, Honey Pie, you can think of no expansions that actually turned you around on a game, right? Because if I can't, I'm sure you can't. Correct. I cannot. Alrighty. So, I am now looking at all of the expansions that I have and have kept. And let's see, there's Pandemic stuff, there's Agricola stuff, uh, Turn and Taxes stuff, lots of Dominion stuff... D-D-D, St. Peter, no, more Dominion stuff, no, 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 all right, I'm up to the R's, so far I'm saying nope, no more Agricola stuff, yeah, uh, as a quick scan, I'm going to say a no, that has not happened, um, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of them that make me like it more, but there haven't been any that have turned it around for me. Uh, and chances are that's because, hey, if I didn't like it in the first place, I'm not going to play the expansion because I already got rid of the base. That's likely the case. That's probably why. Okie doke. 
Um, but you're not done, Yarnus. Next up, I often mention that I cannot play games more than a few times, and that I haven't played some games I love in a long time. Uh, do I think people would be interested in the replay, a replay value series where I explain if games are still fun after X amount of time? I think that'd be a great series, but I just don't have time to do it. I'm, I'm, I've got too many new games coming in all the time. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's just not really viable. The, uh, the... What's it called? The rest and relaxation that Jen and I are doing for high-level Patreon backers. We do a live game session every month. And I'm trying to make those about going back and playing games we just haven't played a long time. Hasn't quite worked out because then I'm letting people vote. And they're not not doing that. They're voting for other stuff. So we'll see how that works out. But it would be a great series. And it would be be great to revisit some of our old faves. But uh, there's just just too much stuff coming in. I I film 200 games a year. um, And... uh, that's a lot. So I, 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 you know, I, I could just stop doing it, but maybe I should, maybe I should. I don't know. I'm not ready to do that yet though. Um, right. So let's see here. Uh, Gerald says he's in Alberta, Canada. Alberta. First time emailing, but long time viewing and listening. <laughs> All righty. Welcome back from London. This is his favorite. Oh, welcome back to London. He says, honey, Thank this you. is still a while ago. His favorite place in London is Piccadilly Circus. But the question for gaming is, in the last podcast, I didn't mention Dreamscape for upcoming games of 2019. Was there a reason? I'm looking forward to it. Dreamscape. 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 Oh, well, I'm, I'm, obviously this would be why. I don't remember it. Let me look. Which is fun for everybody to listen to me typing. Dreamscape. Dreamscape. Okay. There are a lot of dream games that have come out in the last year or so. Oh, this is a really good game. Is very abstract. Oh, this is the one where you could, um, you're building your dream by stacking blocks and stuff like that and making cool abstract sculptures. This is really neat. I can't think of why I skipped over it. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I skipped over it. Dreamscape is an incredibly forgettable title for a game. It is a title that is guaranteed to make you forget what that game was. Proof? I just completely forgot about it in spite of the fact that I thought it was really, really neat. That's my guess. I don't really know for sure, but um, yeah, I, I, I thought I would love to play the final. I only played the prototype. I thought it was really neat. You are right to be excited about it. It's very, very cool and beautiful too. The art was lovely. Also, what happens with the games that don't get funding on Kickstarter? I was hoping Treasure Mountain um, was going to make it, but I'm not sure if it went through. Uh, nine times out of ten, if they fail, they just... Um, they uh, pull themselves up by their bootstraps, come up with a new funding plan, and try again. And usually they succeed on the second try. Uh, I don't know. I didn't follow Treasure Mountain. Yes, I believe Treasure Mountain did try again, and they did succeed the second time. And if, and if that isn't the case, I'd be shocked, because that almost always happens. Um, once, you know, they, they basically have their first run on the Kickstarter. It's basically a trial to find out what people will really pay. And then, they, oh, okay, well, now we know what people will pay. Let's go back, talk to the... Uh, the, you know, the print house, you know, uh, compromise on card size or linen finish or whatever and bring our prices down and then run it again at a lower price and people will pay. And that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, that seems to be the, the way of things as a general rule. Any way, all right, okay, yep, okay. And thank you for, for your long time patronage, Gerald. Okay, Alejandro says he knows that the for, the format helps cover much more content, but he Alejandro is not a fan of the rundowns. They feel rushed. And it'd be nice if it's exclusive for expansions and second edition prints, not new games. It would be nice, 
But I'm afraid they are here to stay, Alejandro. I mean, I did one last month for... I mean, for the most part, they are... For the most part, nine times out of ten, a rundown is going to be for a Kickstarter game where the publisher decided... I um, mean, yeah, because I'm charging for Kickstarter previews now, and I charge more for a rundown than a for a run through than a rundown. And if they don't want to pay for the full run through, they'll do the rundown, and that's what I'll do. So you're going to see them mostly there, but you will occasionally see them. I will say though that I will try to, for the most part, do them in games where there is no reason for me to go and do an extended because you really wouldn't be seeing anything more. Like I said, last month I did one for Bargain Quest which is a nice little drafting game, and my feeling is I could have done a full run-through for Bargain Quest. You wouldn't have seen anything that you didn't see in the first 20 minutes. So there's just no reason for me to keep going, and I was under a lot of pressure, and like you say, they're easier for me to do, so I do think that's going to be the case going forward. Um, but again, you'll mostly see them for Kickstarter stuff. I mentioned in the past about doing a monthly video of me and Jen playing some of our favorite older games. Is this Well, I just talked about that earlier. That's what the R&R series is supposed to be. It'd be great if this was a monthly video instead of covering a new game and subscribers could vote amongst the list of games. They would always end up voting for the newest one has been my uh, discovery. Um, but anyway, yeah, that, that is kind of the plan for that. We'll see how well it works going forward. We only just started a few months ago. In previous years, I've disagreed with the winner of The Spiel. How do I feel about Wingspan? I agreed. I thought that was a very good call. I know that um, CD, Carpe Diem, oh, deserved more justice with the component quality, uh, but it was the second print of the same. The first, would it be my winner? No, I did not believe that Carpe Diem belonged on the uh, the final nomination list because the Kenner Spiel is not supposed to be real gamery games, and I think Carpe Diem is too heavy for the Spiel des Jahres. Carpe Diem is significantly heavier than Wingspan. And uh, to me, it stood out as an incorrect addition to the game. I'm almost positive. Oh, that's right. I talked about this in a backer-only video, the ramble I did like three months ago. I talked about it there. All right. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's my feeling. Carpe Diem uh, was one of the best games of the year. Even after the change, it was still one of the best games of the year. But uh, purposely, I, I think there were a lot better games that were not quite as heavy. Not that it's a super heavy game, but for me... Based on our experience of it, it was too heavy. There was too much going on. Spiels des Jahres, Kenner Spiels, are supposed to be next step games. Hey, I really like this um, this ticket to ride. I'd like something a little bit meatier. You don't take somebody to Carpe Diem after Ticket to Ride, but you could do that with Wingspan. Wingspan, yes. Carpe Diem, no. All right. Uh, so far, Black Angel is contender for Game of the Year. Have you been able to play it with Jen? Yes. Did she enjoy it as much? Um, or is Troy as better for her? Troy, oh, you just got me to say it. Troy better. Honey, you don't remember Troy at all, do you? She couldn't say. Um, we haven't played Troy since since we I lived in uh, Mdina. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Um, uh, where is it? Where is it? It's right here. You'll probably oh, recognize the yes, art. I do. You immediately recognize the yeah, art. Yeah, I remember this. So remember, um, yes. these are our dice. Yes. You roll your dice. It's the workers you have in these different buildings determine mm-hmm. how many of the dice you get. Yep. And um, and you obviously this is very much like. Black Angel, the spaceship game we played, mm-hmm. um, where we roll our dice and we can buy dice from each other and yep. we're sending the robots out. Instead, we basically send our workers out to these cards that we don't get to create the missions. The missions are kind of preordained as part of the thing. <laughs> and the attacks, they come as part of it. You know, it's like, oh, there's there's attackers at the walls. And at the beginning of every round, we have to fight them off mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yep. And then the other thing was, you don't just take one die. You can have bundles of dice. And this was like a, re- it's a really weird rule where you can pay to have bundles of dice to pump a bunch of dice all at once into a given action. Whereas in the new game, you can only do one die at a time. Okay. So, do you remember Twa enough to say if you like Twa or Black Angel better? 
That is Alejandro's question. I don't. No. Did you like Twa? Or did you like Black yes, Angel? I did. Did you like it a lot or a little? A lot. Okay, there you go. Um, we'd have to play it again. That uh, Twa would be a great candidate for a going back and playing games we haven't played forever, even though we used to love them. Yeah. Um, what other game releases, either for Essen or later in the year, do you envision being contenders for Game of the Year? Ah, uh, yeah. Maybe the next Fister game. Maybe Maracaibo. Maybe, um, what do we just, oh, uh, Orleans Stories. Maybe? Probably not. It's, I, I, I would be shocked if it's not going to be Tapestry. Let, let me look at my wish list. Rado wish list goes into Google, brings up the wish list, and um, I of course have this sorted so you can always see what I'm most excited about by Googling Rado wish list, and um, and then waiting patiently. So Machi Coro Legacy, I'm super excited, but no. Glenmore Chronicles two, if it makes it, that'll be a top ten, but no. Merkaibo maybe. Twa Dice isn't going to come out till next year. So, um, Alubari, probably not. Yeah, there's still a bunch of really good games coming, but yeah, I don't think, I, I, I'm, I'm calling it now. It's, it's going to be Tapestry, which you don't, probably don't remember. Do you remember Tapestry? It was, we haven't, we, 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 God, no, we played it when you got back. It was this game right here where we're traveling up the four tracks and you had our tapestry, and you built, you know, had all these really the pre-painted oh, minis, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we built this. And remember when we played? I had that game where I ended up getting like four um, things all yeah, at once, four and different personalities yeah. and and the, and the you know there's conquest on the board, but it was pretty light. It was just like oh, if you conquest, I knock over, and that's I got a trap. Yep. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. Did you like it? Yes, of course. Did you like it or the spaceship Black Angel more? Because those are my contenders for uh, number one and number two game of the year right now. Wow. And unfortunately, um, you know, I've played both of these more than Jen. Um, and Jen has been thinking about other stuff besides games since she played these a month ago. Yeah, a few other things. Yeah, uh, like like our, our entire lives. And um, so, do you think you can make a call? No. No? Nope? All right. I did like Black Angel a lot, though. Yeah? I think I'm going to go with Black Angel. I, I could see that. I, that makes perfect sense. I, I could see that being a better fit for you. Um, ba, 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 ba. and let's see. Oh, back to Outlook. Alrighty, that's as close as you can get, Alejandro. So, hi, a Nufal or Nafal. First of all, Nufal enjoys the videos. Thank you. And I know I'm saying your name wrong. It's a very cool looking name, but you did not include a pronunciation guide. Ah, but I'm sure you're used to English uh, uh, speakers getting it wrong. But anyway, where's your question? Uh, when did I get the epiphany to create a board game run-through show and how? I've talked about this before. It's really simple. I was a video game developer for many years. I, quote, retired because Jen and I ran, or Jen ran the numbers and said, yeah, you know what? You're miserable. You've been miserable for a decade. I think you could stop working now and we could, we could make a go of it. It'd be, it'd be touch and go. It'd be tricky. It'd be tight, but we could probably do it. You should stop. Because you've been working 60 hours a week for over a decade, almost nonstop. And I'm like, okay, I'll try and retire. Whee! And, um, and then Jen said, oh, by the way, we cannot buy five new board games every month now that we've done this. I'm like, what? Bar? And um, I thought, and at the same time, I'm like, oh, I don't have to go into work every day. What am I going to do all the time? And so my brilliant plan was hatched. You know what? Tom Vassell gets games sent to him for free. 
maybe they'd send me games for free so I don't have to buy them, and it'll be a way to fill the time if I make videos of them. And this will be really easy, right? I, mean, I just spent the last 30 years of my life talking about games. That was my job. And that's how it started. Boop, boop, boop. Okay, Kendra. If I were... Do you have anything to add to that story, honey? Did I misrepresent anything? Mm, no, you left some stuff out, but I don't think it's <laughs> <laughs> What I left out, you probably don't want public anyway? Yeah. All right. Um, if I were to play a solo game because I wanted to, what would I choose? And Jen, you can answer too. I don't have any solo games I want to play. All right, so... Under no circumstances. So you do not like board gaming enough to ever feel the need to play one solo. No, forget about, I mean, forget about which one. Forget about that. Um, if Dungeon Pets had a solo mode, you can't imagine a circumstance under which you would ever want to, I'm just going to sit down and play some Dungeon Pets. Ah, no one's around. I'm just going to relax and play. So some, Dungeon Pets doesn't have solo mode. I don't want to confuse anybody, but... Since it's fresh in your mind, it's one of your favorites of all time, you know it so well. If it had a fun and compelling solo version of the rules, could you ever imagine a circumstance under which you would want to play it? Uh, yeah, I'm sure there are circumstances. If I'm on a big, like, nationwide bus ride or something, sure, yeah. You wouldn't rather read a book? I might rather read a book or take a nap. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. I don't think you'd want to under those circumstances either. I don't know. It depends on what else I'm doing in my life. We play mm -hmm. so many games that, no, game playing is not my choice of leisure right. activity. But, but, yeah, by which I mean, I mean, your your choice of leisure solo activity is reading. Yeah. Jen is a voracious reader, so I don't think it would ever happen. Uh, it does happen for me sometimes, although, honestly, I'm not that big into solo gaming either. I'm doing it more and more just because it's helping the show, because I can get games played um, without having to rely on Jen coming down from the previously mentioned Glass Tower. <laughs> and um, uh, if I were to play a solo game right now... Oh, it'd be uh, Gloomhaven, because I really want to play... I mean, because it comes with all those solo missions. Um, honey. Yes. It's been over a year. I don't remember what your last. Do you remember what your last character was? Because we kept upgrading. Was it the Sunseeker? No, I'm the Sunseeker. Oh. My last one was the Sunseeker. No, I don't even. Remember. I don't remember what you were, but you know, there's a mission that can be played for whoever your character is. That can only be played by one player, and if you succeed at it, you get the ultimate weapon for that character. Wow. And that's the only way you can get it. Okay, well then that would will be you, the Will you play I that to... solo game? Yeah, I would. All right. Uh, that, that's if I could play one right now, I, I want to go. Um, um, you know, give get Sunny, whatever the super weapon is. Alrighty. Um, all right. So that was it. Getting close, Honey Pie. In one of my earlier podcasts, I mentioned an event with Tom Vassell and others where one guy freaked out during play, and it wasn't me. Oh, uh, and la <laughs> later, you found out he was just acting for the game. Spoilers. Can I attach a link or direct me? Let's see. How could you find that? If I were to do a search for Dice Tower. Rado live play. I bet you this will find it. Yes, do a Google search for Dice Tower Rado live play. The first video it takes you to um, is part of. Oh wait, oh no, 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 that's different. No, it's the second video. Live gaming marathon with Rado or with Richard Ham. Do a search for live or Dice Tower live gaming marathon Richard Ham or Rado. You'll find it. It's four hours long, and what you described did happen. Yes. Okay. Steven, honey, we're, we're down to four more emails. Okay. And then we'll be done. Personal done. stuff next month. Okay. Uh, I sometimes refer to new games that are game killers for previous or similar game. Considering my unique gaming situation, do I think it's easier for a game to be killed by another game than it would be for most gamers? 
I think uh, similar game. Uh, I have some similar games, but considering my collection is only 45, I love playing both. That's a good question, Steve. I would say yes. I would say I can be a bit more quick to dismiss. So the point being, we have Dungeon Pets. Yeah. And we get some other game that is also about taking care of little creatures, but it's with um, dice drafting instead of worker placement. And so they're both fun. And they're both cute, but do you keep both? Because you're doing kind of the same thing. No, usually the the dynamics of the game would be different enough that yeah, probably you would keep both. Mm-hmm. Especially if it's a a theme you enjoy and the art is pretty and the. Okay, what if you um we we've got a we got dungeon keeper we got dungeon pets again just gets fresh in mind and uh, and you know you know what that is this is the workplace and send the guys out taking care of the animals and whatnot and then we have another game that has 90% the same gameplay it is still about grouping your guys with the money to go out and buy stuff yeah. but instead of your goal being to run a pet shop and raise pets yeah. your goal is to run a farm and um uh you know harvest crops would you keep both of them because the gameplay is mostly the same, but now they're a very different subject matter. Probably not. Okay, there you go. I'd keep the one that's uh, more fun. All right. So, how different would they have to be gameplay? So, it has to be, the gameplay has to be different. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that helps you, Stephen. I was just trying to bring Jen in, because she's over there yawning, because no one's asking her questions. <laughs> um, okay, you don't have to ask me questions. Yep. But you're running out, you must be running out of, you must have seen all of Facebook by now. I wasn't even on Facebook. Whoa. I've got a new kiln, so I was buying some uh, kiln equipment. Okay. Um, we're almost done, Honey Pie. Next up, we have... We have... Top says, In episode 42, at uh, timestamp, one hour, 42 minutes in, I talk about what types of hate drafting we like and dislike, specifically mentioning disliking games that incentivize uh, preventing other players from uh, completing their goals. In this context, could you discuss Suburbia? If I am counting correctly, it appears to be your 68th favorite game currently, and yet it seems to contain this very type of hate drafting. Explain yourself, woman! Mm-hmm. It's not my 38th favorite. <laughs> Do you remember Suburbia? We haven't played it again it's since MDN. Hexes and yes, and you put it on. You don't want so. There's a bunch of hexes out, yeah. and they have uh, increasing costs. You know, and it, one is taking the rest slide down so they get cheaper. And we want to get these hexes to build into our own little suburb. Yeah. And the important thing is, you know, we're trying to build them to get things to match and complete objectives and stuff like that. But when I take one of these tiles, instead of putting it in my suburb, I could flip it over so that it becomes a lake. And that's just kind of a general purpose yeah. moneymaker, I think. And the mo- mo- sometimes you'll do it because you have an objective to get a lot of lakes. But often, you'll, the only reason you'll do that is because you know I need that recycling plant. Yeah. My whole game is about that recycling plant. And there it is. And you're like, oh, I'll just take that recycling plant and turn it into a lake. <laughs> so, would you do such a thing? I'm sure that I have done such a thing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what does that mean? Um, I'm sure that I've done it. Yep. Yes. And, and I have too. Here's the thing. Here's the most important thing about suburbia. Suburbia makes you pay. If there wasn't that cost differential, um, where, oh, yeah, you see that recycling plant? Yeah. And, you know, that recycling plant, it, originally, I forget what the numbers are, it costs five. And then it costs four. And then it costs three. And now it's getting to the point where, okay, maybe I should pay to destroy that. I wouldn't pay five to destroy it, but I'd pay three to destroy it. And I know that, which is why I'll buy it at four before it gets to the point that you will 
pay three to destroy it. Mm. Um, and it gets back to that. You know, it's the thing we talked about earlier. I will tell Jen, please, honey, I don't need these sheep. Don't make me set them loose. And that's the important thing about suburbia. If suburbia didn't make you pay, didn't have that sliding scale, I think it would be a real problem for us. And it would probably be a game killer. All righty. I'm sorry. I assume that's what you're asking to explain myself. Okay. Um, actually, as he was writing his email, as an addendum, I'm writing this email. I looked up the rules and realized we were taught the rules wrong. So they were not paying attention to the money. If we had played, would this have made... Yes. Yeah, as you can see why the hate drafting is not quite so hateful there because there is a steep cost um, put on the person who is hate drafting. And, um, and somehow that just makes it less bad. Mechanisms versus mechanics. For the record... Oh, dear. I don't... It doesn't matter to me which word is used. And for the record, it doesn't matter to me either. All I care about is if you're making yourself clear. English is fluid. I totally understand that. Yes, it grates in my ears a little bit, but I'm totally fine with it. But anyway, um, but you have mentioned it so many times only because people keep bringing it up. I'm not the one who keeps bringing it up. Actually, that's probably not true. I think I do sometimes catch myself and I, I really shouldn't. Um, when I found myself in a public library, I decided to look up mechanics in the Oxford English Dictionary. All righty. And then I looked it up in the multi-volume OED and found an intriguing entry. And then he, he literally transcribed the entire entry. Um, I'm talking about the transitive nature or the transferred sense that it implies. And, um, okay. Uh, does this change my opinion of the term mechanics? Right. Um, uh, if I still dislike it, I'll strive to use your preferred. Uh, you can say whatever you want. It's clear. So here's the thing. The weird thing about mechanics is mechanics is plural for mechanism. Um, and that has one meaning officially according to what you found. Uh, mechanics, as a plural, has a completely different meaning if it's a plural to the word mechanic. And that's just a weird, funky quirk of the English language. And like I said, I'm fine with it if people want to say, wow, that game's got a really nice game mechanic in it. Look at that. That's a sweet-looking game mechanic. That's fine. I don't... Yes, it... I, I, I can't deny that to me it sounds dumb when someone says that. But it doesn't sound at all wrong to me if you say, I really appreciate the game mechanics in this game because I know you're saying it is a plural to game mechanisms. Because that, and um, and, I, and I, I honestly, I'm trying to let it go. It really doesn't bother me. Uh, it's clear what people mean. Um, so I'll, I'll not repeat myself a third time since I've already done it twice. And mm. we know that's a problem. Okay. And right. Finally, Gerald says... I wrote the following about Tigris and Euphrates in uh, gone.rado.com, where I list all the reasons we got rid of games. Brilliant, but too aggressive for us. Well, for me. My wife loved it. What did Jen love about it? What did you love about Tigris and Euphrates, a game that you have not played for nine years? I don't know. I'm afraid, Gerald. Uh, Jen couldn't say. Um, at that point, Jen was a hardcore. She is ready to destroy, burn, pillage, anything... Uh, nothing was out of bounds. I have always been the more care bearer of the two of us. Yeah. And I have certainly rubbed off on Jen over the years. Mm. I think she would now find, if she were to play Tiger Shin Euphrates or whatever the new one is, that's like the remake of it, she would find it a bit too harsh for her. And it, she was in a different place in her life. I was too. Um, so, but I, what's not to love? It's a brilliant design. I'm, people are right to say it's Reiner Knizia's masterpiece. But, yeah, these days I don't think it would work for her as much as it didn't work for me back then. Okay, last one. Kate says, Now that the current rules for space base include a light speed variant, 
uh, somewhat based on my suggestions or issues with the game, would you want to try it and or the Shy Pluto expansion? Kate... I wish you would have told me this months ago because I didn't know that this existed at all. And in fact, the publisher sent me a copy of Shy Pluto and I said, why did you send me this? I'm not going to play it. I already told you I didn't like the base game. I got rid of the base game a long time ago and ended up giving away the expansion. Like, ah! I, what what did they change? Well, you should have read the your questions earlier. I should have read the... No, I mean, this was like six months ago. Oh, okay. I, I'm, that's good to know. I had no idea. Um, we both really thought it was a neat game. And it was kind of heartbreaking to get rid of it. So if they fixed it, that's fantastic. Because 80% of that game was gold. It was just a shame about that 20%. If they fix that, that's great. And boom! Oh my gosh, we are at 3 hours and 16 minutes. There's a whole bunch of personal questions, honey. Are we going to do that? I at least need to have a potty break. (laughs) Are you you saying you want to go for it? Because I'm my throat... Yeah, well, you've been talking a lot more than I have. Well, you'll have to talk more on the personal stuff. Uh, I think I think three. It's hours again, is it's two, enough. it's two months worth of personal questions. Yeah, and we got into plenty of personal in the in the gaming related as it happened. That's true. Okay, folks, I'm sorry, um, but Jen was more involved. I did, did. Yeah. 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 You you definitely had some good stuff to say. Thanks. And I'm I'm, I'm surprised you remember the grizzled. <sighs> I'm I'm totally shocked. I'm surprised you remembered uh, suburbia. So that's really cool. Um, so, folks, I think we're going to cut it there. And, whew. So next month is supposed to be the Essen preview. Maybe I'll try to not do quite so all-encompassing an Essen preview next month. And instead, I'll do maybe just more like a top 20 or something like that. And then bring Jen in and catch up on the personal Q's and A's then. Um, if you've made it this far, that means... I don't know what's wrong with you, but somehow... <laughs> You've made it this far. That means you are the most hardcore of hardcore, and I would love to hear from you. As always, folks, please send your questions to questions at ryo.com. And this month, if you hear this relatively soon, let me know if um, we should do, if I, if I should cut back. I mean, heck, maybe I should just quit the Essen previews altogether. And, um, you know, in the Gen Con previews, should I do that? Should, I mean, I do that because I figure there's a lot of people who are on a plane for 10 hours, and they wouldn't mind sitting there listening to me talk straight for four hours about all the games they might want to get. That's why I do them. Maybe it's just not that useful for most people, and I should just do a quick top ten like everybody else and just make these normal and not have this weird out-of-order cattywampus thing that happens every year right around this time. Mm. Folks, let me know. Questions, as always, questions.raw.com. And in this case, I want your answers to my questions at questions.raw.com. And otherwise, thanks very much, as always, for sticking in there. Thanks uh, to Mike and John for putting my feet to the fire and keeping me honest. Uh, Sorry I got a little carried away there. And uh, talk to you all next month, everybody. Have a very nice day. Talk to you later. Where's the stop button? There it is. So long. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.